This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Your good buddy here, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, folks. Three hours of just the latest, the greatest information you need, the the news you need to know about uh, sometimes, and also we're going to be giving you the tools, the information you need to live a healthier life, a happier life, to live longer and uh, love stronger. Welcome to the program. Man, what a great day. And, uh, you know, it's Thursday. The week just seems to be flying by. And I was sitting uh, last night watching the excitement of the NBA whether it's Kobe tearing apart the Jazz in the end and somehow getting 60 points on his eve of retirement, which I don't know. I mean, I think that was great, but frustrating if you're a Jazz fan. And um, also the Warriors get their 73-win record, breaking history. Uh, wonderful night. And I got to hang out with my kids, which was super fun as well. Uh, we'll get into more of that when we uh, come back. But first, let's get to the headlines and the news with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the world? Thanks, Matt. The mosquito-borne Zika virus causing causes microcephaly and other birth defects, U.S. health officials confirmed in the New England Journal of Medicine on Wednesday. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said mounting evidence showed the virus was the cause of the rare fetal defect, which results in an underdeveloped brain. However, more research is needed to conclusively say it's causal. The CDC said in a uh, study review, health officials said they need to establish the range of defects caused by the uh, prenatal Zika virus infection, also explore other factors that could include include birth defect risk. So Zika does cause the shrunken head syndrome that we've been seeing in South America. Isn't, it's interesting. Yeah, we kind of thought that and knew that, and then they, they can't prove it, and yet they can't say it's causal. Right. Okay. So it's they're still so in the process. It's still really, 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 really likely. Yes. Republican presidential candidate Senator Ted Cruz credited Donald Trump with the New York Values comment that has dogged his campaign for months during a CNN town hall forum Wednesday night. Ted Cruz said the phrase was taken from his GOP rival. You know, the phrase New York values has been a phrase that, that, that folks in the press have been talking about a lot lately. Uh, it's actually a phrase that, that originated with Donald Trump. And, and, and the reason I made that point is that Donald did an interview with Meet the P- Press back in 1999, where he was explaining why in that interview that he supported partial birth abortion. And his explanation in that interview, he said, hey, I'm from New York. Those are New York values. They're not Iowa values. And that, that was literally out of his own mouth, his explanation for why he supported uh, partial birth abortion. And so I was doing a radio interview, and this was right before Iowa, where I was asked about it. And I said, well, Donald says he has New York values and not Iowa values. And that was his description. Okay. Okay. He, he went back to 1999. He, he just yes. happened to remember the 1999 He said interview. this in January. Yeah. He's been answering for it since, and now he comes up with the source of the material, finally. The, apparently they found the video. <laughs> An intern got all of its... Uh, his credit, school credit, class credit yeah, for totally. finding the video. The Texas senator added Trump's claim that the his comments referred to New York's September 11th, 2001 first responders was utterly absurd. 
but it worked well. Yeah. Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders faced off tonight in another Democratic debate. Coverage live from Brooklyn, New York, starts at 9 p.m. Eastern on CNN. Since Clinton and Sanders last met on the debate stage a month ago, they have brutally hit each other on qualifications, releasing speech transcripts and tax returns, campaign finance, and more. So it should be fun. Mm. At the same time, you can flip over to MSNBC. They were having town halls with John Kasich and Ted Cruz called counter-programming. Yeah. For the all-important cable news And by the way, if if anybody has ever complained that they don't hear enough about their candidates, shut it. Tonight's the night. Because you're hearing way too much. And you you can watch Trump on Twitter as he comments on what everyone says. In his silk robe. So everyone will be represented this evening. (laughs) Right. Two Russian fighter jets and a military helicopter buzzed a U.S. Navy warship Donald Cook several times on Monday and Tuesday while it conducted a routine patrol in the Baltic Sea. The jets flew dangerously close, White House Press Secretary Josh Ernest said Wednesday, and a wake was created in the water. If you've seen the video of this, they, oh, I didn't. they flew really close. That yes. close. Uh, this incident, as you won't be surprised to hear, is entirely inconsistent with the professional norms of militaries operating in proximity to each other in international waters and international airspace. And it seems as, so, as though Vladimir Putin is saying, you know, he's trying to just sort of push the u.s and show that he doesn't uh, isn't afraid i guess oh wow isn't concerned they're flying jets right over the top of our ships right around our ships Hel- the helicopter circled the the russian helicopter circled the uh the destroyer for like seven times they said there's video showing the 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 aircraft coming in right off the horizon really low against the water you yeah. can't even see it until it's almost on top of you and then it comes flying right over the top of the ship. You're like, wow. Uh, President Trump, we have Russian fighters circling one of our destroyers. Yeah, perfect. Blow it out of the air. I mean, other than causing a huge international incident, perfectly within the rights to shoot it down. Oh, my you, heavens. You have, a, you have a foreign fighter approaching your warship. Right. What do you do? Uh, probably an armed foreign fighter. It wasn't. Oh, it wasn't. They could tell it had so no, they, no, no, no missiles uh, on it at all. So they're just taunting. Yeah. Man. This is luckily there's no such thing as like sea rage, like road yeah, rage. There is. Did you see that motorcyclist chasing down that other car in no. Florida that made this big story? Yeah, just chased. I mean, it's just ugly, ugly. Wow, crazy news. So what, what, is do, what do you think? Doing? I, Putin's just bored. I think Putin's Putin. Yeah, I mean, they, the, this ship was 70 miles off the coast, off the, in the Baltics. Yeah, and so it wasn't. It was in international waters. It was going to run some helicopter training drills or whatever as these aircraft started just buzzing the ship and flying around it. Well, yeah. Like 11 times. Do One we, report I saw like 20 times over the last I, few days. I don't hear that the U.S. jets do this to Russian ships, no. do we? We don't do that. But at, the, but at the same time, you have Baltic nations where Russia – we're over there floating around near – their country. They yeah. don't come over yeah, to no. the U.S. and float off Florida. Well, their submarines you know? do every once in a while. Well, yeah, just, but it, ju- it just seems like we're we're all over the world, and they're rather conservative as to where we are. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to push back. Yeah. Get out of our area. Which would be the same thing that happened when they went to Cuba. We kind of went mm-hmm. nuts. It's like the stink eye. It's like when you drive into somebody's neighborhood and the the rival gang just gives you stink eye. Yeah. Like, what are you doing in here? Yeah. But they use a jet. Holy cow, I'm watching the video now. Yeah, that's just not healthy. No. And those things are flying so fast. Just one little mistake. Did you see it come off the horizon? Uh-huh. You couldn't see you it. You couldn't until, see it. They, they drop just below, so they blend in with the water. And if you're watching on the video, they, they circle it in the video I saw. And you're like, oh, okay. 
There's something moving out there. That's just what they're doing. That's not a, a seal or something floating around? Did uh, Did you watch the big games last night, both of them, huh? No. Back and forth, back and forth? I, I turned it on at halftime, saw that, you know. Kobe, the, 60 points. The fighting Kobe's had a, had a slight lead at halftime and then flipped over, like, saw that the Warriors were up by 20, and then I went back yeah. to what I was watching. Great night. Not really. Kobe scored 60 points. What was he? 22 for 50. Yeah. It's just Kobe ball hog like yeah. he normally does, but I've, he just kept going till he scored 60. Well, and honestly, you, you can't defend Kobe. Okay. He's retiring. Yeah. You can obviously defend the guy. Well, yeah. He almost got rims stopped or whatever they call it. He was trying to... He's jamming himself on the rim. He can't get high enough he anymore. Can't. His yeah. hips are going. And but, I mean, he made some shots. He did. Oh, he made some great shots. He had some... some At the end, you yeah. just... It was the other, it was the, I don't mind the last 10 minutes. Yeah. It was the first, you know, 30 minutes where he made 30 points when he shouldn't have. Yeah. Because no one was guarding him. They just let Kobe go. This is his night. Congrats to him, though. Boy, what a great way to retire. A dagger in the heart. Oh, yeah. Plus, that's another great picture of, you know, an incredible 60 points shot against the Jazz. (laughs) That'll be like, that'll go down in history. Growing up, watching the Utah Jazz. Yeah. They're constantly the team where records are scored against oh, them. I know. Huge plays. There was a show called uh, Inside Stuff. Yeah, I think I remember. it's on the NBA Network now. When I was a kid, it was on NBC, and you'd watch it Saturday morning, Every and you'd Saturday see the highlights. Night. And they'd have this 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 highlight reel of all the slam dunks for the for the week, uh-huh. and almost all of them were on the Jazz. Yeah, <laughs> they just couldn't defend anybody for some reason. The Jazz slogan is "We're here to serve." Yeah, just go ahead. Go They're, ahead. We'll serve up a dunk for you. We'll, we'll just... stand out of the way. Just dunk it. Hi, yi, yi. We've got so much to talk about. Um, just so you know, too, uh, coming up on the show, we're going to be talking with Dr. Richard Petty. No relationship to the Petty race car. Team. Not that Richard Petty. Different Richard Petty. This guy's from Ohio State. Uh, but he's recently been um, doing some research on your drive as a voter, right? Uh, your love, I guess, of the – it's not of your candidate. It's more of your hate of the opponent – is a bigger driver for many voters than actually their love of a candidate. And with the Stop Trump, Never Trump movements, mm-hmm. that kind of is showing that what he's what he wrote about was true, is that people who are against a candidate are more motivated than someone who's for a candidate. He, he Exactly. He wanted to know if, if our preferences were driven uh, by support or opposition, by fear or by anger, and apparently we're being really driven by anger this year. Not – not you, the listener, right? You don't. You don't. You're not driven by anger. You're you're here to just love. So we'll get into that about uh, you know voting practices, and, and I think you know we all ought to be thinking about our own voting practices. Are you just anti somebody? Which is an interesting year because you know somebody might be able to sneak in this year. Maybe. Is if if you're like the least gross food, then you're palatable. I'm going to be president. <laughs> there you go. If you're the least worst option. Yeah. I was just listening to an interview uh, on uh, another fe- – oh, I forget where it was from. But they were talking to uh, a guy that worked with the Romney campaign. Mm. And he was trying to explain the difference between a, a uh, contested, an open, and a brokered convention. Okay. Because those words are kind of being we're used all interchangeably. Lot, sure. Brokered convention ends up – there are actual brokers, people that go out and try to secure – delegate votes from the 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 the, right. uh, the the floor of the convention he goes I, he, this guy doesn't believe there are any brokers left well yeah but there's the no one out were the old the, they were the old 
you know, establishment, the elite, the political elites yeah. that could bring 50 votes. They could go down and tell a state party leader, you're coming with us. And that party leader will, OK, sure. And yeah, go with him. Right. He goes, nobody has that kind of influence anymore. Okay, so it's, it's a different kind of we're not in so a brokered brokers out. And he says open and contested are basically the same thing. But isn't uh, Cruz or somebody complaining about Trump's henchmen? Yes. See, so maybe there are brokers back, but they don't. It's maybe it's going to be a, a henchman-like convention. The Gestapo. Ta- he yeah. He actually mentioned it last night in the town hall. He talked about uh, that Trump's people are hypocrites because they complain about Gestapo tactics. We heard that on Sunday from right, one, right. Of, one of Trump's uh, people. But uh, then it comes back, and you have. You remember, we had the there was a, a quote from a guy, a, a Trump supporter, talking about we need to out delegates in their hotel rooms in Ohio. Yeah, right. And then in Colorado, the head of the Republican Party there, his phone number, address were published, and uh, whoever did it said, "Bring your guns to the guy's house, Holy so that we can boy. keep these delegates." Holy cow! <laughs> like whoa, the guy that that that, that, is... that leader in Colorado, he said he had like twelve hundred phone calls or something. His phone literally rang off the hook, he said. What is going on? And did you hear about Megyn Kelly? Yeah, she walked into Trump Tower. Apparently, maybe Megyn, everyone thought she was maybe visiting Trump, but maybe Megyn was just visiting a friend at Trump Tower. Could be. No, Nobody she, knows. But no, they set up a meeting. They set up a meeting. Fox and maybe, News confirmed. And maybe she, there's a... She, I, guess, I guess she talked about it on her show last night. Oh. I wasn't able to see any sort of uh, like recap, but... They, they're they're uh, trying to clear the air. Apparently, they're trying to clear the air, according to CNN. They're trying to be friends. Yes, the doorman appeared a bit stunned when I walked in, she said. But that's great. I mean, let's fix this thing. Let's Can't we all just be friends? Or at it, least civil. If Megyn Kelly and Donald Trump can be friends after what they've been through, come on. He is building a bridge. What she's been through. Yeah, what she's been through. He's sort of inflicted her. He, she hasn't done anything. I don't. I, I believe no, she's, she's tried she's to keep it job. above board. Yeah, right. Well, maybe this is an interesting sign too. It's interesting that she had to go to his place. Well, yeah. Seems like it would be, you know, true contrition. He'd have to show up. But you can't give up all the power. No. And he's got that cool office with the the hawk in it or the eagle or whatever it was, yeah. and those <laughs> female staffers he can yell tweets out to. I have female people that do my tweeting. They're wonderful. Tweet this. <laughs> Anywho, interesting. Well, good. So uh, at least, uh, you know, Fox fans and Trump can be friends again. Um, we're going to take a break, folks. And when we come back, guess what? Richard Petty, Dr. Richard Petty, not the not the NASCAR Richard Petty, but uh, is going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about voter support. Where do politicians uh, get their votes? Have you noticed, by the way, that uh, there's a lot of negative advertising? And that negative advertising stirs the anger in the people that uh, will then go be very politically active. So ask yourself, are you driven to be political and to get in, get active in the political uh, race simply because you're angry? Maybe that's uh, maybe that was part of the game of many of the politicians. We'll take a break, come back, investigate the research. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, a candidate's appeal 
to the public is vital, right? If you want to get elected, you got to have people supposedly that like you. But, uh, you know, maybe gaining supporters also can happen by just simply having people not like the opponent. It might simply be that your opponent is just hated and you're not even necessarily liked, but that might turn into some interesting energy. And a new research study led by our guest, uh, Dr. Richard Petty, Dr. Petty finds that opposition inspires more confidence in a voter's position than support. According to Dr. Petty, knowing whether candidate preferences are driven by support or opposition, anger or fear, you know, they might be better determinants than uh, really who's even donating money and uh, really if they even like a candidate or not. So we've asked him to join us today from Columbus, Ohio. Dr. Petty is a distinguished university professor at the Ohio State University. Dr. Petty, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good to be here, Matt. Great to have you. Interesting research. Talk to us about uh, some of your findings. So people are really, I guess, more driven, more active politically based on dislike or anger and frustration than actually the candidate they like? Well, we're very interested in studying confidence and how it turns your thoughts into action and things like that. And so one of the sources of confidence or an action orientation is dislike more than like or something bad as opposed to something good. So if you think about it out of the political context, imagine I were to tell you, hey, Matt, something bad is going to happen. You'd immediately start to think, oh, my God, what can I do? I Mm. need to do something. Something bad is going to happen. A tornado is going to happen. I've got to do something. A bad person is going to move in next door to you. Oh, I have to get new locks. I have to do something. If I said, hey, Matt, something good is going to happen. It's going to be a great, beautiful day today. You'd go, Super. I'll sit back and enjoy it. Just relax. Just relax. Things are going to happen. It doesn't give you that same Uh -uh. action orientation. So the idea of some candidate is bad, we've got to stop him because he's bad. Immediately, I have to do something. I have to vote for somebody else. I have to donate money to my preferred candidate. I've got to stop that bad thing from happening. Interesting. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, just take it out of the political context. You can see how immediately something bad, your, your antenna go up. You go into action mode. I have to stop it. Well, in fact, it makes sense, right? So we're more likely to deal with our health once we have bad news versus just trying to be healthy our whole life. That's why preventive medicine is very difficult. Uh I'm feeling good. That's why people stop taking their medicine as soon as they start to feel a little better. I don't have to do anything anymore. Hmm. Things are good. Yeah. So this is interesting, too, because this all predates Donald Trump. It sure does. (laughs) This this, this whole phenomenon about the anti-Trump... It's just it just happens to be going on this year. But so talk about that. Maybe is this this political year in the context of the political year? I guess a lot of people are are kind of the anti-government. So they're they're seeing the government or or, you know, the status quo as bad. So there's a lot of movement against it. Absolutely. Negative ads have been around for a long time. They were not invented this year. Hmm. We've seen them before. They've just kind of gone on steroids this year. And in part. Um, if you think about what negativity does, it inspires confidence and an action orientation. Different emotions do different things as well. So, so for example, uh, even though fear and anger are both negative emotions, right. fear puts you kind of in a doubtful orientation. I don't know what to do. Whereas anger makes you feel like, I am right. People are against me. The government's horrible. I'm angry. So if it makes you angry. You again have this confidence. 
And once you have confidence, then your thoughts start to turn into action. And, and you can have confidence and be inaccurate. Yes, you can totally have uh, confidence and be inaccurate. And unfortunately, if you're confident in your inaccurate stuff, you're more likely to act on that, too. Holy cow. This is fascinating. And I guess this is because you're a psychologist, but you also like to get into the kind of political modeling and and uh, kind of decision making idea. Is this have you ever seen maybe a more angry uh, electorate? Well, it's interesting that if you think about what we've gone through before, sometimes the negative emotion has been fear after 9-11, right. things like that. And so fear you're doubtful, it makes you want to rally around the flag and sort of, it, it's, it's a unifier as opposed to anger, which is a polarizer. Because when people are angry, they're angry about different things and angry, anger makes you confident in whatever you're thinking, right? And so if we have Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, they start to think their side is more right and it just makes compromise even more difficult mm. if you're angry, if that's the source of your belief, as opposed to fear, which makes you want to come together to try to still do something. But fear makes us doubtful of our own view, and we look to others and social norms and things to come together. So for politics, and, and at least coming together, if that's your concern, fear would be better than anger. It's interesting. So maybe, and maybe I guess uh, they end up playing them together, huh? So they, because they, like, for example, it seems like the Republicans are constantly being called fear mongers. So fear mongering is maybe how they unite the party uh, and then anger is how we fight against another party. Directed against the others. Wonderful insight, Matt. That's powerful theory, though. I mean, I guess if you want but, – but fear doesn't necessarily drive change. It just kind of drives unity. Well, fear, yeah, it drives you to want to be part of the group. Right? Yeah, doubtful, yeah, to be included. Hmm. Be included, yes. Hmm. Is this is uh, this has got to be an interesting year for you to be watching? Then it is. It's uh, we, we've done some of this work before in previous cases, uh, but the ne- level of anger and negativity have not been as high as they are this year. All, all the polls seem to indicate that a lot of the voters are being driven to go out. Turnouts at a record in many of these primaries, and it's the angry people who are really showing up at the yeah. rallies. You know, Ten thousand people in, a, in an arena hasn't really happened to this extent before. Is there any positive driver that is as uh, confidence building um, as the negative driver of anger? Well, happiness is another emotion that makes you uh, feel confident, because when we feel really joyful, we also feel confident, right? Right. So that's a positive thing. A power, when you feel powerful, uh, even undergraduates, if you do an experiment, you randomly assign half of them to be the boss and have to be the employee, the ones who feel powerful all of a sudden start to feel confident, and then they start to get into an action orientation, and they start to do whatever they're thinking. Hmm. Right? So if you think of it as uh, how confidence leads to just saying what's ever in your head, if you think back to the time you were in school, if you're sitting in a classroom, let's say, yeah. and you, you're, you have a question that's in your head, and you want to know, do you actually raise your hand and ask that question? Well, if you feel really confident or you're one of those people, you're going to put your hand up right away and just blurt it out. Sure. Here's my question. If you don't feel very confident, you're going to sit there. You're going to think about it some more and so forth. So some candidates this year notoriously feel very confident in themselves, right? Right. Um, and they are the ones who just say whatever pops into their head without a lot of thought. And they <laughs> get into trouble sometimes for doing that because they haven't really thought things through because I'm powerful, I'm confident, 
whatever I'm thinking is right. So I'm more than happy to say it. Does um, does either way? So confidence doesn't necessarily uh, increase accuracy. It just increases, you know, action ability. I guess. But, yes, it increases the impact of both good thoughts and bad thoughts, accurate thoughts and inaccurate ones. Does is there is there uh, does anger increase? What increases the likelihood of getting better data, more information? I mean, it seems like because confidence, it almost seems like humility is what we also need. But we end up just acting with confidence, not humility and confidence. Is that possible? Yeah. So humility, uh, ironically, doubt is what leads you to to gain more information, right? So if I have doubts about things, that's why yeah. I need more information. If I'm confident, then I don't need any more information. No, you've got everything you need. Right. Wow. Ambivalence, another thing. If I sort of see two sides to something, then I need to get more information to see which side is the dominant one. If I have to make a decision and there are two sides, then I have to think more about it to decide which side is the right one. If I only see one side, I don't need to think any further. I right. can go with my side. Well, and how confusing to be a candidate thinking everybody loves you when really they just hate the other person. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're confident, but you're confident without power, really. I mean, I guess, well, power is a weird word, but you're you're confident without a a true appreciative following. Yeah, and in an election where there are so many candidates, or at least there have been, just disliking one isn't enough. You have to kind of like somebody. Yeah, sure. You know who to support to uh, counter the person you really despise. Um, yeah. Wow, Richard, this has got to be uh, a crazy time for you. As as I as I just look at it, I, I've never just broken it down in this um, this interesting of a way. Anger is driving us, and it becomes a major confidence builder. But it's that's different than support. I guess this is then why we have so many negative ads because negative ads, I guess, just fester movement and anger, and they drop <clears throat> drop people to the polls, right? Yeah, sadly. Which is poor John Kasich's problem, I suppose. No, no, in fact, yeah, coming from Ohio, exactly. I mean, really, because you can't even get his message out because nobody hates him enough. Right, right. And so it's not going to work. Now, maybe if you hate the other person really a lot and you have to stop Trump, maybe you could go to Mm -hmm. somebody that you really, really like more than others. Uh, But it all begins with that being inspired by who I have to stop. And you see it more and more. Cruz is relying on that quite a bit. The entire Republican establishment, we have to stop a certain candidate, so go out and vote for somebody else. Right. And for a while it was like, we don't even care who it is. <laughs> if it's in this state, vote for this person. In some other state, vote for some other person, because the motivation is really to stop person X. Mm-hmm. So vote for Y, Z, or W. We don't care. Oh, wow. Let's take a break. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Richard Petty from Ohio State University, and He's walking us through the drivers, really, what drive people to political activism, to political action, and apparently anger. And uh, knowing or believing strongly that you're right is what breeds the confidence. But does it breed the best politics? We'll uh, continue this this discussion with Dr. Petty. Stick with us, folks, helping you uh, understand leadership 101. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Now, uh, we're talking politics, right? But more importantly, we're talking about political, maybe, movement, political activism. Um, And really what it comes down to is your confidence level. And according to the research of our uh, friend, Dr. Richard Petty from Ohio State University, he is, uh, has been teaching us that angry people or people that are, are angry about something are more likely to act and feel confident to act and to go maybe vote or, or move against an issue or a political party or a political whatever. So it's the anger that tends to be the big driver, not necessarily all of the other positive traits that you might love or like in a in a politician. So we, we wanted to welcome him back. Dr. Richard Petty, thanks again for being with us today. You're welcome. And educating us. Is, is, this, is this anger issue, is this confidence issue, do you, do you notice, is it any different between the parties? Does one party tend to use more anger to move than another party? Um, I, I haven't studied, you know, how much anger is out there. I think uh, stereotypically I'd probably have the same answer that, uh, you do, but some candidates on the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders, get angry about Wall Street. Right. right. So, so I think anger is used in different ways, and you're angry at different things on on both sides of the aisle. Does does this talk? And he's being very successful, right? He's, right. He's driving people the same. The angry people, people angry about something, they're mad. They got to stop something. They're the ones who uh, and the attacks on Hillary Clinton from his side are increasing. Right. So really, sort of this the the, playbook. This is just motivation, I guess, 101. If you want to motivate a group of people, find something that you can unite them to be angry about. Yeah, so anger isn't the only way. That The key, you know, it's, it's make them sure that their side is right. Right. And make you feel like, I am totally confident. So some positive things, like making your side feel empowered, is another way to motivate people with confidence. And that's a positive way. Make them feel like, we, we have control of our destiny, but it's a positive way of instilling confidence. Anger works, too, hmm. um, and maybe it's a little easier to use in the political context than making people feel empowered. In fact, the problem is people don't feel empowered, and that's why they are They're angry. Angry, exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, it seems like when President Obama ran, he did kind of use more of the empowered model, right? Like, we can do this. Yes, we can. It was more yeah. about power of opportunity and the ability to do it. And then maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's fell through for a lot of people, which is why we see the anger. Hmm. Yeah, and the campaign wasn't trying to use anger then, right? Uh, right. That, that was more, things are terrible in the country, right? We're, 2008, the economy had collapsed, and so you were looking for a uniter at, at that point in time, because it was more fear that, than anger. Mm-hmm. And like you taught us earlier, fear just is kind of more of a doubtful mindset, but anger is one that makes us feel right, and we lead to being more confident. Yeah, fear can make you think. So let me see what's the best solution. Let me think. Because I'm fearful, I'm doubtful, I ha- we have to solve something, I'm not sure what's right, let me process carefully. Um, anger is, hey, our side is right, I know what the right thing is to do. Stop those other people and, and get my guy in. Yeah. Control. I guess, can you take um, anger too far? I mean, is there a point where people don't, they, they actually just believe that you are just stirring the pot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we see some of that, you know, boiling over into violence that occurred at some of these rallies, because if you feel like your side is so right, that means the other side is so wrong, you're going to just, you know, punch them, mm-hmm. because that's how angry you are. It's certainty, a sort of a messianic certainty and confidence is at the root of terrorism. Yeah. People feel like it's my way or the highway, 
And, and so if you're that's the most extreme example of overconfidence and, you know, feeling like your group is uh, being attacked by others. And so you're really mad about that. And so it leads to the most extreme forms of, of violence, beheadings and so forth, because you think you are so right. And when you're so right, and you have no doubts at all about your position. You're not going to listen to anybody else. Yeah. Can that be turned? I mean, how do you turn somebody that is so incredibly confident and acting on it, but they're acting on it out of anger instead of, you know, real logic or yeah, evidence? To that point, in, in terrorists, there's probably not much you can do to change those individuals. And right. so you have to get people before they, uh, which is what, you know, people are trying to do now is talk to people and inoculate them uh, before they get to the point of being so certain. And it's good to teach a healthy skepticism. Right. It's yeah. not good to feel like our side is right. But but politicians, unfortunately, in our country are that there are a few who say, you know, it's OK to compromise and work with others and so forth. But there are just far too many who feel like, you know, it's my side's the right and I'll do whatever it takes to get my side right, which we then see means nothing much is going to happen because you have two sides that each think they're right. And you can't compromise because that's a dirty word. Right. And then we're stuck in the mire, right? Just. Yeah. I mean, when we, and we saw that. We even saw it, I guess, the Republicans coming straight out and saying, we're not going to allow Obama to get any legislation through or whatever. We're going to make him a one-term president. I mean, I guess at some point, you, you have to be open to data. And if you're not open to data and you're just stuck in your your confident anger fit, then I guess it's over. Yeah, the I think the ultimate only solution is finally, at some point, some people will feel like if each side, let's say this time, run an extremely polarized candidate, then who knows what's going to happen, right? Right. But if one side runs a very polarized candidate, whether it's on the liberal side, let's say the Democrats run an extreme uh, liberal and the uh, Republicans somehow come up with a more moderate person. And one will say, does the liberal candidate get killed, which is what most polls would say right. would happen. Or if you run a really, really conservative candidate and a more moderate, moderate. person on the Democratic side, the extreme conservative will get killed. Yeah. Uh, like back in the Barry Goldwater uh, days where it was on the right, they got killed. Or the George McGovern days where the left got killed. Right. Mm. And it was after that that all of a sudden, whichever party got killed, realizes, oh, this, the pop- population just isn't with us. We're not right. Yeah. Right. And so right now, each side thinks we're right. You get this false consensus idea, another psychological principle. People overestimate the number of people who are on their side. Uh-huh. And the more right you feel, the more angry you are, the more convinced you become that there are more people. So you really think we're going to win. But we have elections. No, exactly. So well, yeah. isn't that interesting? Because that really is the primary process, right? So we, we get we, – it's almost like we go stir the pot and get angry and overestimate, and then we bring them to the general election, and somebody's going to be embarrassed. And, and all of a sudden, people start paying attention. So e- even in the primaries, you know, so by saying record turnout, we've really just gone from like 20 or 30 percent of people voting to 50 percent voting. So yeah. there's still a ton of people out there who still aren't paying attention. And it would take a lot. I mean, in a way, that's, I guess, one odd benefit of having an extreme candidate maybe like Trump is it is getting people to listen, even if it just angers them. I mean, it's yeah. doing something. It, it's it, it, it's going to create movement, but it doesn't necessarily create healthy movement. That's true. That's crazy. you got to look at this like – I mean, but this is just basic psychology, right? I mean, a similar this you could see this not just on a mass level, but on a personal level. Two kids in the yard, 
yeah, the one who's right will be the one motivated to do the uh, stuff to get their point of view across. One thing that's kind of interesting that we haven't talked about yet is why is it that bad is more motivating and action-oriented than good yeah, right? when something bad's going to happen? And we don't know this for sure, but uh, psychologists speculate that it's because basically the world is pretty good, right? And so uh, most days are pretty nice. And so when the bad day comes along, that's when we have to do something. Hmm. Right? We have to board up our windows because the hurricane's coming. Most of our people in the world are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, imagine if we lived in a world where most days were tornadoes. We'd already have our you know, windows boarded up and so forth. And then all of a sudden, it'd be like, oh, tomorrow's going to be a beautiful day. And you'd think, oh, I have to do something. I can take down the boards from my windows and I can go outside. And then you'd get into an action orientation to do something different. And so some have speculated that we've evolved to just go into action mode when something bad happens because that's the unusual thing that we have. To right. Do. The anomaly, huh? The, the anomaly. So when the anomalies happen, you've got to do something to see what it's all about and it gets your attention. It's that, that means this, we don't live in a world where everything's bad. But yeah. This mentality then is because of our success. In general, yeah. So most of the time, things. most of our presidents have been fine. Good. Right. So all of a sudden, and, and the country is the most successful country in the history of countries. Right. So we're so good that if something bad is going to happen to this wonderful country, we really have to stop it. So that, that's what gives us the motivation to stop something bad from happening. Hmm. And so that's why bad, again, is in this stopping it compared to good. Another good president, we've had a lot. Yeah. I mean, and again, we're, we're doing pretty well. Uh, I mean, even, in, even economically compared to Europe and other places in China, I mean, we're doing – doing okay. Um, talk, talk about uh, what we could do just as a family, as a person, as a parent. What do I do to kind of mitigate that paradigm, that tendency to look for the bad and be more active on the bad? I think the, the first step in, in almost any kind of issue like this is becoming aware of it. Right? And so people can start in the context of talking to another family member, instead of attacking another family member who supports a candidate you don't like and you get into this argument, sort of start to talk about what the reasons are behind it. And, and if people began to feel like, oh, it is anger that's driving me. Is that what I want to drive my hmm. behavior in this case, anger? And what am I really angry about? You know, sometimes the anger has been trumped up, like you said. Uh, we're made to feel like, oh, the economy's terrible, the country's falling apart, because that's what the candidates say. They try to outcompete each other in saying how bad things are. Yeah. Right? And uh, economists and others will say, well, wait a minute, look at the facts. The unemployment's pretty good, and the dollar's strong, and job, et cetera. And so try to think about what is it you're really angry about. Right? That's great advice. It'll be hard for people to come up with it. It's like, because things are terrible, and you mm-hmm. okay, things are terrible. I know you've been told that. What is it that's so terrible? Yeah, because for most oh, people, they may not even feel it's terrible until, I guess, they watch the news and see how terrible it is. Right, the military's falling apart. You go, no, wait a minute. Think of it. Like, why do you say that? Are yeah. you just repeating what someone says, or, or do you have information about that? Yeah, that's true, huh? I mean, I guess that's that's talk radio, too. I mean, a lot of talk radio is, has, has very angry, confident hosts that um, – that tend to just tell their message, and that tends to, I guess, create an angry, confident following. Yeah, I know your show is not like that, man. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you have a show where people think the world is falling apart, then I have to listen every day yeah. right, to try to figure out what to do. Yeah, 
This is I think it's fascinating. What where are you going to take the research next, Richard? Well, we're very interested uh, again, not we're interested in elections too to some extent, but it's just one area in which the whole idea of of confidence makes a difference. And so we're trying to look at other sources of confidence besides emotions. What are some as you mentioned earlier, some positive things yeah. about confidence when confidence might make you take a step back as opposed to just being action oriented and mm. so we have a little evidence that, um, you know, powerful people just say what's in their head and they just go forward. But that's when their thoughts are univalent, just one-sided. And so if all of a sudden you can get a powerful person to believe they're both sides and then you make them more confident, that's when a confident person takes a step back because now they're sure that there are two sides. Right? So yeah. you just sort of think about that. Now I'm sure there are two sides, so now I'm sure I have to take a step back to try to solve things. And so the first step might be to get people to recognize a little bit about the other side, and then confidence might work in our favor. Wow. No, and yeah. Might imagine if you said, I am really angry that you're just jumping and going forward without thinking about something. Uh-huh. Get angry about that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like it's informed anger and confidence versus uh, believed informed anger and confidence. It's actually having the confidence to, to not act. And to, yes. and to educate more and inform more and understand more. Yeah, starting to become sure, if you could become sure that sure. compromise is the right thing, or be sure that there are two sides to most issues. Yeah. Ah, so that's cool. Okay, when are you going to have that done, Richard? We've got to have you back on on that. Okay, we're working on it right now. All right, we'll be watching for it. Dr. Richard Petty, we appreciate you and, uh, and your great work there at the, we've got to say the, Ohio State University. Thanks, Richard. Uh, my university will appreciate that. Thank, Thank you, you very much. <laughs> Keep up the great work. Man, um, isn't that powerful? Powerful insight into you. So think about that. You. Forget everyone else. You. Are you driven more by this anger? Are you driven more by fear? How, how are you being played in this, in this election process? What are you hearing that makes you know that you don't like Trump or you hate Trump or you hate Cruz or you hate Secretary Clinton? What's driving that? In you, you know, we can talk about all the other crazies. When it comes down to it, it's us, right? You and me. What do I feel? Where did I get my information from? Like Dr. Petty was saying, where do you get your thoughts like that? Powerful, powerful stuff. We will take a break, folks. Come back, uh, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We're learning, aren't we? One guest at a time. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Think about that, yo. You know, you think, hey, I can just do this. I'll just do this. Have you ever felt confident when you shouldn't have been? You ever felt confident backing your car out of the garage when, honestly, you shouldn't have been? We have this new uh, car that we that my we got from my wife that has every gadget on it on earth. To, I guess, increase your confidence in your driving. It keeps you in the right lanes. It keeps you from really running off the road. In fact, one of the buttons you can push is, hey, don't let me drive off the road button. It'll keep me the minute I'm out of my lane or it'll start to make an alarm go off. It'll actually steer me back into my lane. 
which is a great tool unless you're actually trying to get out of your lane because there's a truck moving into your lane and my car's kind of steering me back gently into the truck. It's kind of scary. But all of these tools, I guess, give us confidence. So we were on spring break and uh, I was in my car, this car, put it in reverse and then waited. My kids were doing something I can't remember. So I put it back in park. And then my wife asked if we had something like I can't remember what it was like, did we remember a ball to go to this place where we were playing ball? So I get out of the car. I was confident to leave. I was ready to go, never feeling more confident, walk around the car and standing right behind my bumper is a two year old little girl, little blonde beauty in a pink bathing suit. And I about died. This beautiful, perfect little girl that I couldn't see in my cameras that produced so much confidence for me, standing right behind my back bumper and my back wheel, basically. (sighs) Maybe we shouldn't be as confident as we think we are. And maybe we shouldn't just believe that what we see is accurate. Now, the neat thing about these cameras is I have three different angles I can change the cameras to. And I went back to the front of my car and told my wife, there's a little girl back here. And we were like, she was, we were dying. And we changed our camera angles and my wife went back there and we learned what we can see and what we can't see. But we learned. And I think that's what Dr. Petty's teaching us is you can be confident in something that's not really there. You can be confident simply because you're angry The candidate, I get it. Be confident and angry. However, it doesn't make you accurate. You can be angry at a community. You can be angry at the police. You can be angry um, at at something and still not have the information. So maybe we all could uh, expedite some of the research Dr. Petty's doing, right? You could expedite it. I could expedite it. If I would just personally gain more data. Real data, not data from a talk show, not data from my favorite source of data, but real data about what's going on in the world. Sometimes you got to get out of your car and go check. Sometimes you got to get out of your head and what you heard on the way to work and go check the data. Maybe you ought to read a newspaper that's not your typical newspaper to read. Maybe you ought to find another source for information so that you can, you know, improve your data. Well, that, yeah, but I don't, who has time for that? I don't know. But if you're going to go spend all the time being angry and going to all these, you know, events that are, you know, anti something, there's something more to life than just hating something. At some point, you got to be for something. So what are you for? And the minute you know you have to hate something in order to be motivated to do it, you better check and make sure it's of good rapport, right? It's something of good intent or you're spending your entire life and all your cachet and your character to just hate something. There's got to be more to life than just hating something. And I'm convinced there is. It's, it's believing in something. It's caring for something. It's, it's growing something. Powerful stuff, folks. Powerful stuff. Now, I know you get this, right? Right? It's just your friends. It's your friends that are so messed up. We're talking to them. 
You got to make sure they listen to the show, though. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, hoping to help you see the good in the world. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number two of the series of three. Welcome back, my friends. Remember, we can't do the show without you. Who would want to start without you, for heaven's sakes? Uh, we are honored to have you here. And again, if you're not uh, able to s- listen to all of the show and or you know all of the great guests, make sure you go to iTunes or tune in. Go look up the BYU Radio app. You can download that bad boy. And guess what? You can get to all of our past episodes, all of our interviews. Uh, today, we just had a great interview about motivation and how anger tends to motivate people. In just a few moments, though, we will also be getting to Jason Zook who uh, is going to help us work through how to get something done after you've hit a wall. Have you ever had that experience? You just have that big project to do, and it's been hanging out there for months or years. It's just there. You got to do it. You got to do it. And you, you can't get it done. You put it on your list. It's on your list all the time, and you never get it done. Oh, and you never get it done. Oh, and you need to get it done. And then you just get exhausted about the idea of ever doing it. Well, if you've ever experienced that, folks, stick with us. I know you have. You got to figure out how to get over that hump. And Jason Zook is going to uh, he's going to he's going to give us some great insight based on an article that he wrote: How to Get Stuff Done When You've Hit a Wall. That was in Quartz or QZ.com, Quartz.com. Um, we'll be getting to that uh, in just a few moments, as well as obviously other headlines, all the latest information you need to live longer, love stronger. In fact, we're even going to give you some information you flat out don't need. But uh, first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country? Thanks, Matt. On your rare visit to CIA headquarters, President Obama said Wednesday that the depraved Islamic State has had a few bad months, and its leaders wake up every day and understand it could be their last. In Syria and Iraq, ISIS is on the defensive, Obama said, and for our 66-member coalition, including Arab partners, is on the offensive. The coalition will continue missions to eliminate ISIS leaders and their barbarianism only stiffens our unity and our determination to wipe out this vile terrorist organization off the face of the earth. So he says they're on the run. We'll see what happens. Wow. Apparently we're bombing them a lot. Yeah, they're on the run. Haven't we been saying that for years? Yeah, Yeah. so we'll just let that go there. After months of cautious speculation, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention officially confirmed the link between the mosquito-borne Zika virus and microcephaly, a rare birth defect. The news comes after an increasing number of babies across South South America were born with the defects, which leads to abnormally small heads and brain abnormalities. This is the first time the virus spread by mosquitoes has officially been linked to birth defects, and the CDC maintained that the pregnant women, that pregnant women should avoid traveling to Latin America and the Caribbean regions where the virus is spreading rapidly. Well, there goes the cruise industry. For pregnant women. Yeah. The pregnant cruise industry. Huge huge part of the industry. You know, baby moons, they call them. Oh, really? You go on a trip before you have the baby. Yeah. It's a baby moon, like a honeymoon, but baby moon before your life is truly over. 
Oh, that Apparently. sounds so negative. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. Before your life is allegedly over. On Wednesday night at Washington Square Park in New York's Greenwich Village, Bernie Sanders rallied a crowd of his, cam- uh, of a crowd his campaign estimated at 27,000 people. Holy cow. His campaign estimated, so... So it's 25,000. It might be 25. He, goes, he said, when I look at an unbelievable crowd like this, I believe we're going to win here in New York, Sanders said. He took aim at rival Hillary Clinton, who was leading him in the polls before next Tuesday's pivotal New York primary, and he acknowledged. When I look out at the thousands of people who are here tonight, I think we've got a surprise for the establishment. Yeah. Yay. You know what? So 27,000 fans for him. Hillary has to be pulling huge groups. She spoke at a community center in the Bronx to a smaller but overcapacity crowd Uh of about 1,300 people. How many? 1,300. Wow. So he had 27,000. Well, she had allegedly. 1,300. Not even close. <clears throat> Does she know that? It was a different type of event. Yeah. Well, one was a community. Bernie was in a, in, a, in a park, lots of rooms. They were at a community yeah. center. So. But if you put Hillary somewhere like Bernie, right. you'd pack him in. I don't know. I guess we'll find that out. has yet to be uh, to be seen there. I don't Interesting. Know. Hillary and Bernie face off tonight Ooh. in another Democratic debate. Coverage live from Brooklyn at New York, and uh, New York starts at 9 p.m. Eastern on CNN. You like can a duel. It's going to be a duel. John Kasich at 7 Eastern on MSNBC, followed by Ted Cruz. So MSNBC is going head to head with CNN. Counter programming. This is cool. Is Don going to be on anything? Uh, Twitter. Okay. He'll be on Twitter. On his couch. Houston police said a deputy constable was shot six times in the back outside a convenience store early Thursday morning. The Mm. deputy was taken to a hospital, expected to survive. Uh, The spokesperson for the police department said the officer was parked at the convenience store and leaning into his vehicle while talking to a a reserve deputy trainee when an unknown suspect shot him in an unprovoked attack. Wow. Yeah. It's a scary job. I don't know. In lighter news, uh, any, any trips to national parks this this summer, this year uh, for your family? Not, Matt? not yet. Uh, maybe. Maybe. This might, might change your idea. From April 16th to April 24th, admission will be free to every national park in the United States in celebration of National Parks Week. Wow. The National Park Service has a website with a complete list of the parks waiving their entry fees while admission fees will be free. There will still be camping fees. For those who can't make it to the park next week, there will be a few other admission-free days of the year, including, what, August 25th through 28th, which is National Park Service's birthday, September 24th, which is National Public Lands Day, and November 11th, Veterans Day. Hmm. It's the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service, created by Woodrow Wilson in 1916. That's great. So free park Celebrating day. national parks for like a week, for a week. Yeah. That's great. You just go down there. And Seems to be at an, kind of an inopportune time. Yeah, it's kind of a weird time. School's still in. School's still in, you know. Not the big rush of June. Kind of the point, probably. Probably. <laughs> and uh, this this happened, I, I mentioned it to you before, but uh, Tennessee Titans, the NFL yeah, football yeah. team, traded their number one overall draft pick to the newly transferred LA Rams. <sighs> I love it. Which That's will be cool. a big deal. Both teams have included multiple picks in the deal. Yeah. This is the L.A. Rams that will have the big stadium. Aren't they building a new stadium somewhere? There will be a billion-dollar stadium. Apparently, it will be possibly shared by another team if anyone decides they're actually going to move or not. I think that's all still up in the air. Interesting. Could be San Diego. Could be Oakland. Don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
the Los Angeles team has traded up presumably to select a quarterback with a first pick. Uh, there's a quarterback out of North Dakota State, yeah, who apparently is the 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 top pick this year. I mean that's huge, right? So North Dakota State. Let me get this straight. It's that a division that, two. Yeah, I they're not a big five. Uh, what do they call them? They're not a Division One team. They're not a Division One team at all. But they're not. So we always hear about the Big Five conferences, Division One. That's the only thing we look at. But this quarterback, this first, the number one pick potentially coming out of a second tier division. That's yeah. cool. That's really cool. Could be interesting. The draft April twenty eighth through that weekend. <sighs> that's right. So, so you can go to the parks and then you can come back and then go watch the draft. There you go. That's good living. Sounds Thank like you, a full Terry. weekend. You're welcome. That's great. And uh, it's also, by the way, we failed to mention April 14th, look up at the sky day. Look over there. Yeah. I mean, how often do you look up at the sky? Not very often. I don't get around to it a lot. When there's a noise. Well, yeah. Like, like an, airplane an airplane. Or, yeah. Did you see that video of the guy that almost got hit by the airplane? Oh, yeah. I think it tapped like, him on the head or something. Like taking a tourist a, was yeah. taking pictures at a location near a runway and an airplane Kind of clipped him. He's like, it hit me. I just touched the airplane. I just touched an airplane landing. <laughs> That's really proud of you, son. A little nuts. It's also Dolphin Day. Dolphin Day. Uh, Dolphin Day places a particular emphasis on curtailing Japanese dolphin hunts. Oh, I so, thought it was maybe eat a tuna fish, tuna sandwich You day thought it was the Miami Dolphins Day. It's Dolphin Day, and there's a lot of dolphin and tuna. It's to decrease the hunts on dolphins, and oh. which I don't understand why you'd hunt a dolphin. It's a cultural thing. They hunt whales, too, and that's something that's not really uh, I, liked. I also don't understand why you'd ride a bull. Yes. I also don't understand why you'd run for president. Why would you do that to See, yourself? These are a lot of questions I have. Speaking of running for president. Yes. Ted Cruz. Interesting story. Not what? interesting. Weird story. You mean story. Theodore? Theodore Roosevelt Cruz the Fourth, whatever his <laughs> name is. He, uh, there was a story that came out of the CNN's town hall last night. Yeah. Ted, Ted Cruz has an affinity for soup. Really? He likes a nice bowl of soup. Where's my soup? So when <laughs> Daddy needs his soup. He says, uh, he goes, when his family's away in Washington, D.C., he goes, my dinner, it's a, it's a can of soup. Really? The pantry, it's full of soup. So he has a chance to do whatever he wants. Family's gone. You know, we talked yesterday about living, living on the yeah, wild side. Yeah. Soup. He goes for a bowl of soup, a nice hearty bowl of soup. Uh, any particular kind of soup? His wife shared a story when they got married. Uh, they got married. They returned from their honeymoon. Her husband went off to the grocery store alone. When he returned, he had 100 cans of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Wow. She was shocked. So he goes, so we had this tough conversation. She, uh, she said, he goes, you don't buy 100 of anything, much less canned soup. We can't do this. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be making food. He's, and he said, he said, no, I know you. You, you won't be making food, you know, cooking, yeah, and yeah. you won't be doing that. So the next morning, it was a weekend, she, she, uh, she loaded up the car and took all the, the, the soup back. Oh, boy. She said, we can't have this. And when he got home, I called my mom just to make sure that I'd done the right thing as a newlywed, and she emphatically disagreed with me. And so when Ted opened the pantry, I had to quickly tell him that I would go back to the store and buy all those cans of soup for him again. Wow. It's kind of an odd story. Is it? Is it? Do we need to know this stuff? I don't know, but that was on, on the – that was, this is what we get out of these town halls where they have these long-form interview and they talk to the yeah. wives and family I guess now. we're humanizing him because yeah, we he know ne- he eats soup. He needs all the help he can. There's a lot of people that question him yeah. being a human. Yeah, some wonder if he's not a robot. 
I don't know. I don't think you can begrudge a man for his love of soup. No. But 100 cans there's, of anything. There's love and then there's there's a problem. Like what what could you buy 100 cans of that your wife would just love you for? Diamonds. Wow. Cans of diamonds? I don't think my Where wife do you buy would be your happy diamonds, about that. Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> you buy them I on the cheap. I buy them the five and dime I, uh, store. <laughs> I get them imported. They're discount. Hmm. Garrett, by the way, filling in for Benjamin. It's finals week. Yeah. At Brigham Young University. That's what he says. But I don't think Ben's even in school. No. Or if he is, he's not going to pass the classes anyway. I've so. never seen the guy study. <laughs> Taking the finals kind of a waste of time. So we appreciate Garrett being here. Um, but yeah, what, what could you buy 100 of that no. you wouldn't get in trouble for? I'd get in trouble for buying anything. Eggs? If you needed 100 eggs. Jelly beans? No. Well, Because when you, that's like two handfuls. Yeah, you buy a bag. It's... Yeah, that might work. I don't know, but that's that's insane. One hundred can. I mean, how many flats of of that would fill up any normal car or SUV when you in your sort of storage area right. full of cans of soup? Yeah, no, he, it he, doesn't say if it was all the same kind of soup. Could have been different flavors. I'm not sure, but he's just a real fan of soup. I, I don't think that any grocery store in its right mind is going to stock. 100 well, cans you, you, of the same kind of soup. Yeah. You go to one of these box stores. They oh. have them. They okay, have big old one. pallets full of stuff. So my wife likes me to save money. My wife's Marty is her name. Right. She likes me to save money. So if I bought her 100 cans of outdated food, <laughs> expired or damaged products, and I got them cheap... Maybe ten cents a can. Maybe she'd be happy. <laughs> Do you think? Could a- be. Apparently, a supermarket has now opened in Denmark, where that's what they do. Denmark has opened the world's first supermarket that sells expired or damaged products. Ever since the grand opening in Copenhagen, people have been lining up outside We Food, We Food, <laughs> We Food for a chance to purchase discounted items. Would you buy a can of? Uh, Bean, no, soup. Let's just use soup that's, you know, a month old. I mean. Maybe. It's kind of a, you know. I mean. All, all purchases are final type of transaction. Isn't there, like, isn't there a reason they have a date on it? I don't know. Most food, if it doesn't naturally spoil, it's probably going to be all right. Yeah. Food, cosmetics, and other household items at Wee Food are priced at least 30 to 50% lower than the regular stores. Yeah. I mean, maybe same thing. Outdated medicine. I mean, sure. So, sure, it's 30% less effective. Right. Sure, the penicillin has 30% less <laughs> well, kick. You, you would probably only include items that aren't going to be instantly bad at that date. Yeah. Like uh, like a, a jug of milk. Yeah, you'd know. They're so far past right. it. You know, when you flip it over and you can see the chunks floating around right. in the jug, that's probably you a can, good idea and not you to. Can, it's not like you can't throw it out. Yeah. So if you just open it and then you just use your own senses to figure out if there's botulism. Do you think the store has a money-back guarantee? Bet not. <laughs> I would bet not. Maybe they have a if your food starts talking back to you guarantee. That's right. If your food is moving. But we're finding out stuff. So many things are in the food anyway that aren't good for us. I bet a lot of this stuff would last a lot longer than we think it does. I'm sure. I'm sure. And if it doesn't, hey, you get sick a little bit. What is the big deal? Anyway, I'm not going to it. By the way, the name We Food, they need a better editor. 
You need to check your advertising department because we food does not sound right. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to help you learn to get stuff done. Those big projects that you just can't get done, the ones you keep doing and doing and doing, or just the things that wear you down and exhaust you. How to get stuff done when you've hit a wall. Jason Zook, Zook will be joining us, and uh, he, he's best known as the guy that made over a million bucks selling his last name twice. He's getting stuff done. Sure, he's selling his name, but uh, he's going to walk us through a great article he wrote. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, live longer, love stronger. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Remember the excitement that you felt when you launched headfirst into your latest project? The bliss of knowing every door was open and the opportunities were endless? You know, you felt nothing could stop you. But then, if you're like most people, something stops you. And you don't even make it to the finish line. Let's say you don't even make it halfway through the project. And now you got to look at that project every day as you pull into the house or as you you know, just are doing your daily duties. So how do you get and keep that momentum? How do you get stuff done when you've hit a wall and you just got to get something done here? Well, joining us this morning is Jason Zook, creator of JasonDoesStuff.com. He's here to talk to us about things that can help us get over that wall and back into the groove of success. Welcome, Jason, to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for having me, Matt. Good to be here. This is great uh, topic. Every one of us, I think, have probably run into these these walls. You're you're an interesting guy because many people may have seen you on the news or heard about you. You're the one that would basically rent your chest and uh, and wear a t shirt for somebody to go promote somebody. Yeah, for five years, I wore shirts for over sixteen hundred brands, made over a million bucks. Uh, with my company, I wear your shirt. Pretty interesting start. That's a crazy start. So you know how to get stuff done. What What is going on with us when we're so excited about a project and the next thing we know, we totally have no more energy or focus for it? You know, Matt, you said it perfectly. We are all guilty of this. It's not just something that, you know, uh, some something that's wrong with you or something's wrong with your project. It's just human nature that we get so excited and then shiny object and we get derailed or <laughs> we see a big challenge. And again, it's like that wall. You just can't get over it. And so there are just a couple of things that I've found over the years getting all these projects done, working with all these companies I've worked with uh, 10 years in entrepreneurship now. And the first thing is just making really small tactical to-do lists. And so that doesn't mean if you're trying to maybe write a book or, you know, film a movie or whatever you're trying to do, don't put that on your to-do list. Put every step along the way, you know, uh, write the first headline for the first chapter, write the first two sentences of the first chapter, you know, create a bullet point list of all the things you need to do for your book, if that's the example. Mm. But the, the thing about it is that we, we have these daunting tasks that sit in front of us. And if you don't break them down into little manageable bite-sized pieces, you'll never get them done. I've been there and I realized this. And so now I write to-do lists every single day of my life, first thing in the morning, for five minutes, and I just write out every little line item I can do, and that has made the biggest improvement in my life in getting things done. Well, and I guess you get the high of then checking stuff off. I mean, you don't need, oh, to, you don't need to write the book, right? You just need to you know, sit down, get the paper, do whatever you've written on your list, and if you get halfway through your list, you feel good. 
Exactly. And yeah, you're right. Scratching things off. Like I use a big red Sharpie and it just, I don't know, it feels really good. It's this, this little human psychological trick that just, oh man, I get to cross this thing off. And it, it sounds silly, but I've gotten a lot of stuff done over the years and I've helped a lot of people get a lot of stuff done and it works. <laughs> That's great. It usually is the simplest answer, isn't it? That uh, seems yeah, to do us the most good. Is it, um, and, and you really get you, you you say very tactical to-do list, literally get every little detail in there. And yep. um, I guess some of that, too, it's like writing an outline, really. You, you you at least are thinking ahead to the next step, so you don't need to keep figuring it out every time you get interrupted. And it's for everything. I mean, this could be for if you want to get on a new diet, if you want to try and get a new job, if you want to improve something at your current job, if you want to improve your relationship. I mean, I have just found that breaking things down into really small tasks, very bite-sized doable tasks. And it can be done with every one of these things. And, you know, like, for example, working out, you know, go put your clothes out the night before for your workout clothes and put your shoes, your socks, your underwear, your shorts, your shirt, your bra if you're a woman, uh, all of your stuff in a pile so that there's no resistance to, oh, I got to go through the drawers and I have to go find it. No, it's all ready for you. Hmm. You know, and then you can just do these things one by one really simply and there's been a bunch of studies that if you just put your workout clothes on, don't even think about what workout you're going to do. But if you just put them on, you're 75% more likely to actually get a workout done because <laughs> you've, you've put the workout clothes on. It's so silly, but it works. That's crazy. So, I mean, but it makes sense, right? It's, 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 it's the ability. It's not having to think about it. Whatever we can do yeah. to not have to think about it, I guess it's our mind that stops us so much of the time or our confusion or our interruptions and never getting back to it. But yeah, if you got your clothes on and your shoes on and your, you know, your your timer's going on your phone to get running, yeah. something's going to happen. Yeah, and the other thing about that is, you know, I think we have gotten into this society of over-glamorizing and, and glorifying hustling, you know, and working until the late night hours and, and burning the candle at both ends and all these other stupid metaphors about overworking ourselves. And I think pacing is so important to any project as well. You know, we, we don't live in survival mode anymore where we're running from a saber-toothed tiger and you have to get everything done in this last moment or you're going to get eaten. That doesn't happen. Right? Right. We don't have to deal with those things anymore. But yet we'll, we'll kill ourselves, you know, metaphorically, but we'll work so long. We'll put in so many hours. And for what? You know, what are we doing this for? It, whatever project it is you're doing it for. And I think that for me, I've just learned, you know, I used to work 14 and 16-hour days staring at my laptop all day, Matt. And... I just, I finally just took a step back and said, why am I doing this? Why, you know, th- this isn't the career that I wanted. This isn't what I wanted to be doing in my life. I wanted more free time. I wanted mm. more time away from a computer or a boss or a job. And so I, I've actually found that taking breaks and there's actually a really interesting study and I don't remember who did it or what the name is, but it's actually taking a year and putting it into three month chunks or four month chunks. And where you say like, my year is actually only four months long. What can I get done in that period of time? Hmm. instead of trying to like put it over a longer period of time, it's to make it a little bit shorter and then go, okay, how can I pace myself to get it done in this time and get things done a little bit more tactically, get things done a little bit more organized. And it just, it really works. And a lot of people actually found that they got things done a month ahead of where they would have been because they didn't have all this extra time that they could just fill with all the little things that you do to distract yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, the the year maybe doesn't even work in the human evolution or psyche, right? I mean, right? we're used to the yeah. day, we're used to the minute, and Absolutely. we and then that concept stretches out our our goals and everything. You must have five hundred to do lists. How do you keep it all straight? <laughs> You know, I, I don't get, uh, as much as I love writing them every morning, I don't get, uh, you know, 
sympathetic about them. Uh, as soon as the day is over, I crumple them up, I throw them in the recycle bin, and I bring out a new piece of paper. And I do it on paper every yeah. day. Do you? Um, I, I used to do it in, in journals. Yeah, I just I really like the feel of a piece of paper that's staring me in the face. It doesn't hide within a journal where you can close it and you can like put your to-do list away where it can't be seen. Um, and I don't like apps, you know, on on the computer on my phone for to-do list because what happens when you're on your phone or your computer? You get a notification. Oh, an email. I got to go check that. Uh-huh. Oh, someone tweeted Interesting. That. Yeah. Oh, Facebook notification, and you're gone. You're not in your to-do list anymore. You're not in that mindset. But a piece of paper for me has just been so big. So you know, you'd think I have like this old you know, crate full of papers that are dusty. I don't, I throw them away every day. And and that's actually part of the fun too, is you can say, all right, I got to rewrite the ones I didn't get done, but I can throw away this other paper and now I move forward. That's great. So you don't use a planner per se. You don't use, uh, you don't use technology apps. You mean you have technology, but don't, you don't use the apps. You write it on a piece of paper, you hammer out the list. Um, and then you do it again tomorrow. Yep, absolutely. And I just keep doing it. And you know, and the other thing too here is, is I take breaks. You know, it's not like I just write a to-do list every single day of my life, 365 days a year. You know, I'll go a week without rewriting a to-do list every once in a while, to-do list every once in a while. And I'll also just take time off from my project. And it sounds so counterintuitive, like you said at the beginning, when we feel like we've started this project, we're, we're up against a deadline, we're up against a wall, or, or we're just not even, you know, there's not even a deadline, and we just can't even feel like we're going to get this project finished. I'll just take a break. I'll just take a week off. And actually, that'll help redefine do I want to finish doing this project? Because hmm. if I don't, I should just move on. And I don't think a lot of us have that, that discussion in our minds of, of quitting in a good way, you know, allowing for new things to appear because we're quitting ones we actually don't do. And the other thing a break does is it recharges your creative batteries. It gives you more energy. It gives you kind of more incentive. If you really couldn't stop thinking about that project, okay, now I need to get back at it. You know, now I'm refreshed. Now I need to set a deadline and I need to stick to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and you also – some of the research shows it actually makes you more creative. Having a break from the yeah. ideas that have been filling up your brain, right? Then you can come back and hammer it with new creativity. I don't know anybody who gets like constant creativity from being plugged in all the time. Yeah, no. you, know, you, you find it in nature. You find it in the shower. You find it when you're away from looking at all the notifications and attention-grabbing things that, that pulled us all day. And listen, I love that stuff. I sit on my technology most of the day just like anybody else. But you have to establish time away from that stuff to be creative and get things done. What do you do for your breaks, like just in your day-to-day break? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've done for the past six or seven years, every single day at 5 o'clock, I walk my dog with my girlfriend, no technology, and we usually go somewhere where you can be in nature. We, we live close to the beach. We're, we're fortunate to live here in Southern California. And so we walk along the beach about a mile every single day. You hear the waves crashing. You know, you see other people. There's seagulls that are screeching mm. at you. But you're, you're just out in nature. And so, you know, I used to live close to a, a hike. And so every morning I would do hikes for a little while. I just really believe that getting outside, you know, getting some fresh air. I mean, we sit inside all day, whether it's at our offices or in our ha- homes or wherever you are. You just need to get outside. You need yeah. fresh air. You need vitamin D. And I think getting back to nature in some ways really helps, like, rich, for me especially, recharge my creative juices. No, that's great. And and it really – it seems like in the end um, – it's it's also great for your relationship. I mean, to have your girlfriend and be able to build uh, yeah. time in to talk every day. And the neat thing about a walk is you can really only go so far, right? I mean, exactly. and it's and yeah. the time is not going to just keep going on and on and on. You're not going to spend all night walking. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's finding what works for you. You know, I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, I don't live close to the beach or I don't live near a hike. Yeah. Hey, that's totally fine. What can you find that's near you? What can you do that's near you that you and a friend or sitting together or a dog or just yourself, you can get out of the house and do something? Because I, I guarantee you, if, if the people listening to this, just try this. Maybe establish a 30-day challenge for yourself. And I love 30-day challenges because they're, they're tight and they're easy to do. It's just every day, pick something to do to go outside. And just 5, 10, 15 minutes. Like you said, you're not going to walk forever. Yeah. And do that thing every day. And at the end of the month, I would love your listeners to email me and tell me I'm wrong, that they didn't come up with one idea or they didn't solve one problem on those walks or they didn't have one little mini breakthrough because it happens. I see it happen for myself and I see it happen for the people who, you know, read my weekly emails from Jason Does Stuff, as you mentioned, and, you know, have subscribed to the kind of the mantra of getting things done that I really stand behind. I love it. And, and, and movement and finally, and just the health mm-hmm. factors, but also to get some creativity. We're speaking um, right now with Jason Zook. Uh, how to get stuff done when you've hit a wall. It's a great article he wrote that's in QZ.com. And um, JasonDoesStuff.com is his website. Jason, hang on. We'll take a break. Come back. And, folks, we're going to continue to get more information from Jason about how to move along, how to overcome the wall once you've kind of smashed right into it. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Jason Zook uh, is known for being the guy that made over a million dollars wearing t-shirts for a living and selling his last name twice. He recently uh, wrote an article, How to Get Stuff Done When You've Hit a Wall, and we are picking his brain um, about uh, his his great lessons there. He also has a great website that um, you can go check out, jasondoesstuff.com. Jason Zook, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome. Good to be back. Thank good, you so much. Good to have you. Now, so you basically have taught us. We got to, we got to, you know, make smaller uh, kind of tactical lists every day. Make a list, but in detail. So you're not just giving the big highlights like, hey, write a book. Um, and then you've also taught us we need to take breaks. What else do we need to do to, to overcome the wall when we've hit it and we can't seem to get our projects done? You know, I, I think what we talked about a little bit ago, too, is just to bring it back up is that we all deal with this. We all have things in our lives that we want to get done and we just can't seem to get them finished. Right. And I, I think it's so important that we realize we're not all supermen and superwomen. And as many things as I've gotten done in my decade of entrepreneurship, I need help, you know, and, and I'm, I'm so prideful and I don't want to ask for help, Matt, but I've found that sometimes you just need a little nudge. And so there's a couple ways I do that. One is I build a trust circle. And this sounds maybe like a little culty, but it's not, I promise. <laughs> it's just a group of people that you trust, and they're not your friends, they're not your family. There may be colleagues, there may be people that you're connected to, acquaintances, people that you even look up to in whatever your field is, that you could send an email to and just say, hey, if I need a little bit of accountability, can I just email you? <clears throat> Excuse me. Can I just email you? You know, can I just send you something? And so what I've done is I've just built a trust circle over the years, and it changes, you know, year to year when people kind of fall off or they go into other things. Yeah. And I'll just email these people, six to eight people, and I'll just get their feedback on whatever I'm doing. And now I want a huge caveat here, big asterisk. Feedback can be dangerous if it's not coming from the right people. Ah. So if you're starting a new business and you email someone and they have no business experience, 
but yet they give you feedback about business stuff, you need to take that with a grain of salt. So always look one layer deeper on where feedback and criticism is coming from because that can actually derail you from getting something done as well. That's great advice. You know, I think the other thing that can really work too, and using a trust circle or not, is making a deadline public. Put it out there in the world. Tell the world, put it in the universe and say, I'm going to get this project done, whether it's a Facebook status or on Twitter or you're just emailing some friends or text messaging everyone you know. But put it out there because then people can actually go, hey, did you get that thing done, Matt? And you go, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I told people I was going to do this. i got to stick to this deadline. And that really has helped me over the years to say this project launches on this date. And people will sit there. They'll want to know when that thing is going live. They'll want to know what it is. They'll want to know how they can support it and support you. That works really well. I love that. I did, I did that with my uh, dissertation and my, my doctorate. And it does help because then everybody's asking you. And all of a sudden, yep. you have accountability. At least in yeah. my, it felt like my character was now in question. It does. It gives you, you know, a little bit of like an integrity check, yeah. right? Because if you don't put it out there, then no one can really say like, oh, you know, Matt doesn't get things done. But if you put it out there and you don't get it done, people be like, hmm, hey, Matt, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You know, let's dive a little deeper. Why didn't we get this thing you done? You liar. You yeah. never do what you say you're going to do. You led us astray. Exactly. But I really believe, I, be, I believe this can be really powerful. And, and I'll give uh, your listeners one other super tactical thing is I like to write myself future letters of encouragement. Hmm. Now, what does this mean? This sounds really weird. Um, I use a tool called followup.cc. It's totally free. That's the website. It's followup.cc. And what you can do is you can send yourself emails in the future. You can use it for lots of other things. But So I'll send myself an email, and I'll just say like one month at followup.cc, and I'll just write in that email very simply, Jason, you got this. Get it done. How are your to-do list doing? What do you Hmm. need help with? And I'll, I'll shoot that email off. Well, guess what? One month later, an email will appear in my inbox, and it'll say exactly that message. Now, you think about that right now, and you're like, oh, that's silly. I don't need that right now. I'm working. I'm getting things done. Yeah, but what happens when you get to that wall, and this email shows up? It's like, whoa, hey, who's this coach that just emailed me? It's you. Yeah. You wrote this ahead of time. So I do this sometimes for myself on like a two-week, four-week, you know, two-month basis. And it's just a simple little thing, but it's a reminder. It's a nudge for you to keep going. Well, and proactive, and it t- I mean, you don't have to write, dear diary. It doesn't have to be a exactly. huge thing. Just a few words of remember our goal, remember the motivation. Why are we doing this? That's cool. Yes. And Boomerang's yeah, and like another tool, right? You can, you can use yeah. Boomerang. Yeah, Boomerang is for Gmail. Follow-up CC will work with anything. But Great. I really like what you said there. You know, bring back the why that you're doing it. Because so many times when we get stuck on projects, I think it's because we lose our vision for why we're doing something, who it's going to impact how it's going to help people, how it's going to help ourselves and our family and maybe our businesses. And so I think if you can bring that why back up in many different ways, whether it's with a trust circle, whether it's with social media accountability, or whether it's with a tool like Follow-Up CC, it can be really helpful for you to get that motivation again that you had when you first had the idea for whatever you want to do. Yeah. Now, I mean, what if, what if as you look at this, Jason, like with me, I the last 10% is hard. So when I read that, I'm like, yeah, it's like, I can let me get the big ideas, let me get the kind of middle sized ideas. But when we get into the minutia, for example, of finishing a book, maybe it's better mm-hmm. then to just hand it off, you know, or yeah, to you know, get it to someone yeah. else that can just, that is the finisher that, you know, can make it look pretty. You know, I have this little mantra for myself, and it's just outsource your weaknesses. And I, I've told it to myself years over years, and it's just, 
I, I find myself trying to do all these things that I'm not very good at and that someone else could do for a very nominal fee. Yeah. Just a favor. You know, you might even know somebody in your sphere who is an editor or a copy editor. If we're talking specifically about a book, but maybe you also know someone who's a trainer. If you want to get back in shape or a nutritionist, you know, you'd be surprised at who's in your immediate kind of circle. And so I think if you can reach out to other people and lean on other people to help you with different parts of a project where you're really getting hung up, it can be so impactful and so helpful for you to get to that finish line. And like you said, you're at 90%. You're so close, but you just need someone else to help you get over these things that are really challenging for you. That last 10%, other people can really help you do that. Yeah. I mean, and I guess that's knowing yourself, right? Just know yeah. know what you're good at. And it sounds like that's what one of the things that you've become really good at, Jason, is you you got to be real. Quit being delusional about what you really can do. Yeah, a little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in finishing stuff. And I, listen, I was a prideful guy a couple years ago. I didn't want anyone's help on anything. I was going to do it all. And what I realized is that just led me to being overweight, overstressed, unhappy, and not enjoying the work that I was doing. And now what I just try and do is, again, as we talk about these to-do lists that I mentioned very early on in this, is I'll write down all this stuff. Oh, you know what? I have all these little things. I don't want to do this. This is not my specialty. This is not what I'm good at. But I know people who can do this for either free or a favor or just really cheap. And then I can get that off my plate and I don't even have to think about it. It just gets done and I move forward. Yeah. What do you do, you do to um, – because these are great ideas for like me. How do I get others to to take this advice? Uh, you sit them down and you have an intervention. No. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's like a husband or a wife, a wife that saw her husband started a project and he just yeah. never finishes the project. You know, I think there's some real tricky stuff when it comes to relationships and, and kind of work and projects. And I think you just have to be as supportive as possible. I, I know with my girlfriend, you know, we are just very honest and we over communicate. You know, we really talk about you. We mentioned we go on these daily walks and these daily walks for us are really our time to kind of vent and, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? You know, what could be better? And we try and figure out a way to support each other first and know that, hey, our relationship is the most important thing and these projects are secondary. And that really helps just to reframe it. You know, when you can say this project is not the, the make or break thing, our, our relationship is the make or break thing. And so if you have a significant other who you constantly see starting a project and never finishing it, you know, maybe sit them down and just say, hey, I just want to be here to help you. What's going on? You know, how, how could I help you? Is there anything I could, you know, jump in with on this project? Right. Or is there anybody we could talk to? And it does get a little bit tricky, but, you know, even if it's not a significant other, even if it's just a friend, you don't want to go at them with the, oh, you never get anything done. Because guess what's going to happen? They're going to resent you. And then they're not going to want your help or your feedback. You have to be supported first. That's so true. Isn't that, I mean, it just seems pretty basic, doesn't it? It's, it uh, does, but I think, I think we lose track of all the basic stuff with yeah. everything else that gets thrown at us in life. And, you know, I know I've needed reminders so many times. I appreciate this opportunity to be on your platform to give people the reminders that I've just kind of fallen into. And I think you bring up a lot of good points as well to this, that it's just going back to a lot of the roots of the simple stuff, but the simple stuff really works. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's why, you know, it's been around for generations. Is It just works. Before all this technology and all of these other opportunities we have, uh, you know, a to-do list has existed forever. Yeah. Even yeah. in our head. That's right? in stone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just really important to get back to the basics, but also find what works for you. You know, I, I want to make sure I bring that point up yeah. because I don't want people to think the way that I do things is the way that it has to be done. Listen, if you can use an app on your phone or whatever and you can really get a lot of stuff done, then own that. You know, use that thing. That is a, that is a tool that is really helping you. But remember that all of these things are just tools. 
And right. there will be new tools. There will be other things to look at. Don't get caught up in the tool. Get caught up in focusing on how to get things done. Yeah. Jason Zook, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your insight. And again, uh, we've been challenged by you, Jason, to do the 30-day challenge. Go outside for 10 to 15 minutes. And if, if it doesn't start creating creativity for you, you want to hear about it. I do. I want people to send me an email and be angry and tell me that it didn't work, but I have a feeling I'm not going to get many of those emails. <laughs> and where would they email you? They go, just go to jasondoesstuff.com and they can connect with you? Yeah, that would be great. It's great. Great stuff. Jason Zook, thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. Have a great walk today on the beach. Uh, thank you so much. I will. I wish I were there. Um, good stuff. Uh, isn't that fun? I mean, really, that's the, you hear the energy in Jason's life, actually, and uh, the creativity well, yeah, but he's got an easy life on the beach with a dog and a girlfriend. Um, he created that life. That's how this works, folks. We create that life. You create it right now. The life you're driving in and going to and working at, this life that you've created, it's yours. It's mine. We are all what we are. And, you know, some have been, I guess, blessed or given certain opportunities, some different opportunities. But in the end, I think what Jason's telling us is there's a choice to make, and uh, let's just start this morning, or let's start today with a to-do list. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion on the other side of the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you live longer and hopefully get over the wall. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Hey, uh, what do you think? Did you figure it out? Do you now know how to get over that wall that just has been plaguing you for years? Well, we're just not wall people. (laughs) We can make up whatever story you need to make up to get over the wall. The problem is it's your wall. Some of us, instead of getting over the wall, we just, you know, build a really nice lattice that we secure to the wall and then we create really nice, you know, shrubs around the wall. We paint the wall. We maybe draw a really nice painting and picture on it so we can enjoy the wall more. Maybe you just ought to get over the wall. Now, believe me, there's many things I just have trouble getting over. And yet, as I listen to Jason, you're like, well, duh, make a list. And doesn't, does it not make sense to make the list? And make it detailed. If, if on the list I today put, write the first chapter of my book. I have four books that are in my head. I've even white papered them. That's how, that's how far I've gotten is I've actually written complete outlines on four different books. <laughs> Haven't written them yet. I've written one book. And the problem is that book, that wall shredded me. <laughs> so I am like, I am never going to go write another book. But I have some great white papers if you want to read them. But then I have this thing in my head and my heart that keeps saying, hey, Matt, you got to write this book. Or I'll go do a speech and they'll all say, tell us more about that body, mind, spirit idea. Well, it's going to be in my upcoming book. When will that be out? At this rate, 2060, if we're lucky. 
I mean, I got this wall. I've got to get over it. And I'm you. You're me. We're the same people. We've all got something. But make the list. That just makes sense, doesn't it? And then be willing to just toss the list tonight. Okay, I'm done. Didn't get it all done. But I did get my computer set up, and I did uh, tighten up that the white paper on my book. I, t- I, t- I tightened up my outline. Great. Tomorrow, let's just start writing it. Okay, what do I need to do to write it? Make some time, create the space, sit down, lock my door to my office, offend everyone in the office so they don't come near me. Make the list. And take a break. Um, How essential is the break idea? Now, some of us just maybe take too many breaks, like watching Netflix. Terry, on the other hand, just watches... Marvel comics, DC comics, and trailers for all the shows coming out. There's more to life than that. Take the break, whatever break you need. It doesn't matter. Just take it. What am I supposed to do, Matt? What am I supposed to do when my husband, that's all he does is take breaks. Well, let's see. Let's look at our options. Uh, Complain. Um, Ignore. Avoid. Talk about him. Uh, make him pay for it. Or you could relate. You could talk. You could communicate. Well, I do, but every time I talk to him about it, he gets mad. Okay? That's common. Uh, every time I have projects that my wife needs done and I don't do them, and then she brings it up, like, are you going to do the yard soon? Oh. Who I'm usually mad at, by the way, when I get mad at you for bringing up the projects I need to do, I'm really mad at myself, aren't I? I'm mad at me, and yet I, I blame you. It's, it's a neat thing we do. But I'm mad because you're telling me something I know I should be doing, and yet I'm, I'm caught on the wall. Or I'm watching Netflix on the other side of the wall, and I don't even realize I'm no longer trying to get over the wall. I've just now accommodated the wall. Made excuses about the wall. One of my rules when I teach and work with couples is just do something different. Just do something different. It's If your spouse is going to be mad either way, then maybe just go out and start doing the yard. And he'll come out mad. I guarantee you he'll come out mad. But remember who he's mad at is uh, he's mad at himself. Well, I don't want to make him mad. You're already making him mad by asking him every day. He's already mad when he pulls in the yard and the driveway and he sees that his yard is not as nice as everyone else's grass. It's not cut. It's not green. The yard's a mess. He already feels that way, which might be one of the reasons he gets in the funk. So if talking's not working, then just quietly go start working on it. Oh, well, why should I have to work on it? Because it bothers you. Go work on what bothers you. Well, aren't we just enabling him? Well, then nag him and see how that goes. You got to choose somewhere, right? Nag or we're going to work on it. I mean, remember, it's your life too. And if your wall is your husband not getting over his wall, then do something to get over the wall. Right? Adjust. Oh, it's always up to me. It is. Yeah, it is. As long as it's bothering you, it's always up to you. As long as you want to improve it, it's always up to you. As long as you're the one that wants to change, it's always up to you. Anyway, a little coach's corner for you. What do I know? just one of us.
We're all jacked up. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're doing what we can every day to give us all the tools we need. Not just you. We all need them. I talk from my experience being stuck on the wall. We'll be right back, folks, with a new hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Long time, no talk. Where have you been the last six minutes? Right. Of my life. Hey, a great show for you today. Today, uh, if you have wondered how to talk to your spouse, you know what? About difficult things. Like what? Like, you know, the hard to say stuff that you got to be careful how you say it. You just talk to them? No. Oh. It's, it's about how you say it. It's not about what you say. It's how you say it. What, what if your spouse is waiting for you to say the wrong thing on purpose because you normally do that? No, like, yeah, totally. Right. But like, tell me this doesn't sound different. Honey, you look horrible in those pants. Well, you don't say that. Okay, see, see, you know that's wrong. How about this one? Honey, your pants are much too small for your huge legs. That's better. You like that? <laughs> I'm sure that you're a real hit I'm, at home, I'm, Matt. I've never had to say anything close to that. Yeah, you don't want to say that. Because my wife goes, oh, and has changed before I, the conversation comes up. See, it's it may not even be how you say it. It may be the question has to be, do you need to say it? Yeah. You Most, get in trouble for looking wrong, looking oh, totally. sideways. You're like, what was that look for? You think my shirt's dumb. No, I didn't say anything. Well, <laughs> it just is dumb. Here. I just want to eat my soup. See, these are the problems. Look how – and Garrett's not even married. No, he knows. But he already knows that yeah. his wife's going to look at his shirt wrong and him wrong. <laughs> He's got to be smart. That's all. So we'll be talking to uh, a marriage therapist and um, author of the book Blueprint for a Lasting Marriage. How to create your happily ever after with more intention and less work. So if you're starting to lose grip of the happily ever after, Mm. stick with us. Just a few more minutes and we'll get to her. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country? Thanks, Matt. Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders face off tonight in yet another Democratic debate. They haven't had one in quite a while. This one wasn't planned until both sides sort of blackmailed each other into doing it. As you remember, there was a fight over that, disagreements over planning and all that. So coverage live from Brooklyn, New York, starts at 9 p.m. Eastern on CNN. You can watch John Kasich at 7 Eastern on MSNBC and Ted Cruz at 8 Eastern as they counter-program with a town hall. New York Daily News endorses Republican presidential candidate John Kasich while also slamming his rivals Donald Trump and uh, Senator Ted Cruz. The newspaper Thursday's front page featured the headline, Never Trump, along with Never Cruz Either. In parentheses. Kasich, Lots of nevers. Kasich is clearly the only choice for the GOP. It says the paper's editorial board urged New York's Republican voters to support the Ohio governor in the presidential primary on April 19th. Hmm. Next up on Vice President Joe Biden's tour of talking about his moonshot effort to cure cancer, the Vatican. The vice president, president's office announced Wednesday that he'll be giving an address at a conference on the progress of regenerative medicine in Vatican City on April 29th. What does he know about that? Well, he's the spokesperson for it. Well, I I know, but 
So they're going to write it for him and then – Yeah. Okay. You deliver a speech. Oh, okay. he's, it just he, sounds like the kind of speech a doctor would give. Well, right. But he's the – a doctor shows up. The media is not going to be there. Vice president Vice shows president up. Vice president shows up. There's a little bit of they want it, They all want to hear what Joe has to say about it. That's It's great. like when you walk into a room. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends yeah. on the room. Sometimes people stand are like, up. who's that? Other people, there's like women screaming as they run across the room. What do you mean? Nobody ever says who's that. We went to a, our only live broadcast we've done on this show so far. There were women who were like, Matt Townsend. I know. Yeah. Wasn't that great? As that was my wa- family. As they were walking into a conference. Yeah. And then there were the others that are like, why are you in our way? They're like, who are you? Yeah. Biden's office says it has yet to be determined whether the nation's first Catholic vice president will sit down for a meeting with the pontiff. Oh, that would be cool for him. For him. That's great. Last year was pretty brutal for oil companies with a sharp drop in oil prices slashing about $200 in stock market value from the largest public energy firms. Most chief executives got a raise anyways. Oh, good. Because that's how it works. The Wall Street Journal reports this this morning, even if some of their total compensation packages actually shrank along with their company share prices. Some shareholders aren't too thrilled about this in the 2015 pay packages and plan to vote against them in non-binding votes. BP, their shareholder meeting is today. Oh, boy. Somebody's in trouble. We'll see what happens there. On Thursday in Manila, U.S. Defense Secretary Ashton Carter said that the U.S. Navy uh, has started patrolling the South China Sea alongside the Philippines in an unusual joint military exercise. The U.S. is keeping 300 troops in the Philippines through the end of April, along with attack helicopters and other combat aircraft, Carter said in a joint news conference with the Philippines' defense, defense secretary. And similar U.S. military contingents will cycle through the Philippines after this group. They're all there to, I guess, provoke China into nothing because it just turns into a diplomatic standoff constantly but it's kind of fun to watch hopefully everything uh cooler heads prevail and no one starts flying aircraft over united states destroyers like in russia is doing right (laughs) it's crazy people who eat fast food matt yes may have higher levels of potentially infertility causing industrial chemicals in their body according to a new survey whew What a relief. Infertility. It's working perfectly. Bloomberg reports researchers were looking specifically at two types of phthalates uh, found in everything from cosmetics to window blinds. Hmm. They studied nutrition data from nearly 9,000 people and found that those who got more than 35% of their total energy intake from fast food over the previous 24 hours had high levels of this infertility-related chemicals in their body. Really? They may be entering the fast food products through packaging, gloves worn by workers, or machinery used to process the food. Meat and grain products from fast food restaurants were shown to be the most associated with higher levels of these chemicals. Wow. No word on if, like, the whole pink slime thing that happened several years ago yeah. has anything to it do has, with this. You don't know if that's – okay, because I was wondering if that had anything to do with <laughs> That is – Fast um, food. Wow. Got to watch out for that. Hey, did you hear about this New Yorker that uh, is – Setting the he set the world record for binge watching. You, I, read, I read something about. Are this. you a binge watcher? No, I, I, I've uh, there's shows that I want. I, you know, Netflix. Yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. This came up because Netflix puts an entire season of TV out at the same time. I know that's horrible. They don't wait, so you can just sit there and watch. And then the software is set up that when the episode's over, all of a sudden a clock ticks up and says, "Do you want to watch this episode? It'll start in ten seconds or I something." Know, I know. And you're like, eh, "Oh, it's just another episode. Just, it's it's one more episode. It's forty five minutes." I've gotten about three episodes into one of these, and I have to stop. Really, I have to move on. I feel like a slug. What well, you feel like a slug? No. Do you feel your heart start to hurt? No. Hallucinations? Nope. Do you have an involuntary micro nap in the middle of it? Not that I know of. 
That just sounds like college. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like, it like science class. <laughs> 25-year-old Brooklyn resident Alejandro Vragoso just set the Guinness World Record for binge-watching. He wrapped up a full 94 hours of TV watching. Wow. 94 hours, I guess, straight. CNBC uh, reported that uh, Fragoso started his binge on Friday along with two friends who are no longer with us. They both dropped out <laughs> around the 60-hour mark, it said. passed out. Um, uh, as well as Guinness record keepers and a doctor in case of an emergency. Their playlist included Adventure Time, Game of Thrones, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Bob's Burgers, and Battlestar Galactica. There you go. I've watched all of Battlestar. It wow. took me about... Three months. This guy did it in a weekend. Did he get a pick what he wanted to watch? Apparently. Uh, the rules... Well, I had to meet certain time requirements because he wanted to beat the record. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The rules were simple. You can't break eye contact with the screen. Nope. I didn't know screens had eyes. Uh, no prolonged conversation. Huh. And a five-minute break every hour. <laughs> By the time Fragoso set the record on Tuesday at hour 94, he was suffering from acute hallucinations, <laughs> involuntary micro-naps, and a raised heart rate. I love this. We now know the effects of binge watching. I, I, I'm just can I just don't know why he kept going because wasn't right. the previous record like 91 hours? It was 92. 92. Yeah. Okay, 92 hours and 12 seconds. Right. Peace. Peace. I'm out. <laughs> See, it's kept going another two hours. <laughs> but that really does look like half the students walking around this school right now. Right. Maybe he only had two episodes left in the series he was watching and wanted to finish. Maybe that was it. Maybe that's what pushed it was. him over the edge. Like, I'll just finish these two episodes instead of sleeping because I haven't slept in four days. There you go. <laughs> the binge watching. I mean, the, I love how they. Had a doctor present. <laughs> I know. They were expecting this. A doctor. He was like a media psychologist. <laughs> you have adrenaline on him. Not even a real doctor. Uh, I guess there's that record, or there's the record from the 65 year old Canadian man who set the world record for knuckle push ups. Can you do knuckle push ups? Why? My, my knuckles don't need to be pushed up. I can do knuckle push ups. So this is where you just make a fist and yeah. do it on your knuckle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that, I guess that's harder. I've never done it that way. It depends on if you're doing the two knuckle push up, the one knuckle push up, like yeah, yeah. I've, I just like to do the swollen one knuckle push up. Sixty <laughs> five year old Canadian, he placed his bid to claim the. Why is everybody so into Guinness still? Um, I mean, these records change it's every just week. Having an accomplishment, I did something. Yeah, Al Wazelanichuk. Wazel, good, good try. Yeah, compliment there. We'll have uh, to wait eight weeks for his attempt because it appears that the record 70 knuckle, 79 knuckle push-ups currently held by an American man, he, he's going he's to try to break that. Oh. He performed – he did perform 91 last week, um, but I guess they have to wait to confirm the record. And he's got to rest and recover. Yeah. Um, 91 – so is that hard? Is that harder than a normal push-up? Yes. It's on just, your knuckles. Just because it's painful. Yes. So once you – you then would build strong hands. Yeah. When I said I could do that, I do like 10 and I'm done. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's like eight for me and yeah, I'm, just, I am not a large individual. So you just do it and you're done. I really need to do more knuckle push-ups. You watch the video and it's it's crazy how easy this man's been able to do a push-up and so he does it on his knuckles to make it more difficult. Wow. And then he's able to do it you know, without a problem it looks like. What you don't see are, are him injecting his knuckles with steroids. Oh, he's right. got the – Knuckle roids. Yeah. Knuckle roids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I once had knuckle roids. <laughs> Not good. No. <laughs> Not good. Man, again, I guess anything could be a, uh, a Guinness record. Anything. Within reason, and you have to clear it with Guinness. They have to agree to it. I yeah. think Ben would get the record for putting up with you guys. 
on a daily basis. Yeah. What do you mean by that, Garrett? Most put downs in an hour of radio <laughs> programming. <laughs> what is the record? The record was our last uh, our last board op. Yeah. Just we just put them through the ringer. It's okay. But the neat thing is it toughens them up. Apparently, HR is okay with it because we just get a new one every week. Yeah, they just replace and we just keep bashing away. I miss Ben. It's all right. Well, I'm a. I'm just on a rotation, so once once Ben gets a little bit cryy, he calls me up and he's like, I just can't do it. <laughs> Is that what he does? Yeah. I just can't do it. I, I gotta. He needs an emotion day to, to just <laughs> yeah. re- rebuild himself, rebuild his ego. It's actually in his contract. Yeah. Gets, we call it Thursday. It's Ben's Thursday break. <laughs> he gets just, crushed every couple of weeks. It's just a break. It's not a big deal. Hey, guess what the number one top-selling car or stop sports car in Germany is? Tesla? Nope. Oh. What would you think? I saw this yesterday. I mean, you got BMWs. Yeah, they have Jaguars, all these sports cars. All these the you Audubon. Know, you you could think you German mean, engineering. Mm, mm, what what is it? It's a, a Ford Mustang. Of course it is. Uh, well, Ford folks taking over German engineering. I wonder if that's. I wonder why. I mean, they're muscly. Yeah, they're powerful. There's probably something about. Uh, there's like brute force when it comes to sports cars made in the U.S. versus. Yeah. More of an elegant style yeah. out, of, out of Europe. Meaty. Maybe they like that. Strong. My car can punch your car harder than your car can punch my car. There you go. What's the fastest you've ever gone in a vehicle? Ford Escort went about 105. Right. I did. That could never happen. I did. Well, did you lose a bumper? Well, I did it another occasion in the same <laughs> Escort, but yeah, it was different. Did uh, you really? <laughs> yeah. Fun fact. 115 Ford Escort. There you go. I was coming down. I was coming down a mountain. I had my clutch in. I wasn't paying See, attention. And these cars are—they're basically go karts. That's true. There's really no safety involved. Nope. <laughs> I mean, there probably is. It doesn't feel like it, yeah. especially when you're going over 100 miles an hour. Why would you ever go 100 miles an hour in a Ford Escort? I was bored. I, I was in between. Uh, were, you, were you sad? I was, in, I was in between Abilene and Dallas, and there's this long stretch. And I'm like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Hold on. So you were, you were in the service of your church. Yeah, it's all right. It wasn't my car. Hey, we just saw two missionaries going uh, about 105. And it was minutes. so long ago. I, you know, statute of limitations apply here, so I'm good. That is uh, embarrassing. I've got 120 in a Corvette mm, with nice. nitrous oxide. With nitrous. Uh-huh. Wow. I went 115 in a Ford Escort. That's not impressive to me, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> my, my, just so you know, my, the contents of my stomach, they went 110 miles an hour. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> so they were in the back seat. Yeah. It was incredible. This was just in downtown. This was after I taught a workshop. Hmm. A guy had his vet and he's like, You want to go for a ride? Go for a ride. And I'm like, For sure. <laughs> He goes, you mind if I open it up? You may want to buckle up a little bit here. <laughs> I didn't know what the jargon meant. When he, but when he said, do you mind if I open it up? He meant the nitrous. And oh, wow. I thought, he, I thought he meant just speed up the, no. the and vehicle. He, and the thing took off. Wow. And then he did a power a power turn, I think it's called, where he pulls the emergency brake. It would be a power slide. Power slide. So you're not really turning at that no, rate. He, he actually did turn. And uh-huh. then right then I decided I want to die. <laughs> And then I felt like I was about to die. And <laughs> Doing that sounds a lot more fun on a video game than in real life. No, yeah, totally. But th- <laughs> I would never do that in an escort. That's just ridiculous. No. That's a death wish right there. Matt would have broken the world record for the highest manly girl scream oh, right then. Oh, for sure, right then. If, we, oh, if I had just been recording that, it would have been fantastic audio. 
You never have the audio when you need it. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be helping you understand how to talk to your spouse, how to say sometimes the difficult things that you need to say, but to uh, say it in a way that they can hear it. Leslie Duaris will be joining us. She is a marriage and family therapist and also author of the book, A Blueprint for a Lasting Marriage. Stick with us, folks, helping you love longer and stronger right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. How easy it would be to show me how you feel more than words. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever tried to get out of a sticky situation by saying what you think another person wants to hear, only to have your words come out as sarcastic or condescending? Uh, And then you just end up digging yourself deeper into a hole. On the other hand, have you ever given someone critiques or criticism or feedback using positive tones and had them actually accept it openly or optimistically? Well, you know, it might be time that we learn how to talk. And especially in our marriages, our, our most important relationships, we probably need to figure out how tone and, uh, and just our pitch maybe sometimes impacts how our words are being picked up and how they're being related. Who better to teach us uh, than um, our great guest, Leslie uh, Maury, uh, Dories, sorry, and she is the author of the book Blueprint for Lasting Marriage. How to create your happily ever after with more intention and less work. She's here to walk us through some of the details of our uh, communication with our spouse. Leslie, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you for having me. Great to great to have you on this topic as well. I love communication and relationship topics. So, it, it, in in the end, it's something I don't think we pay attention to uh, the tone of how we say something, the pitch we use. It may play a lot uh, more important role than most of us understand. Well, yeah, research actually shows that the words we, the actual words we use, usually is no more than 10 or 15 percent of what gets communicated. The other 85 to 90 percent is our tone, our body language, our facial expressions, and, you know, it really creates a sense of meaning. So if somebody says, well, how are you doing? And you go, hey, I'm fine. That's one thing. And if you, but if you hear, well, how's it going? Or how are you? Fine. Fine. The word is exactly the same, but the meaning is completely different. Right. And we know, I mean, the, the tone is there for the exact purpose of creating better communication, right? It's there to convey the message almost in a deeper way. Yes, and I don't think people realize right. that. Yeah. And you know, and a lot of times if they realize that, they might want to stop and think, is the does the tone match the message that I'm trying to say, which sometimes it does, but then the next question people have to ask which they don't is is this going to get me what I want? Right. <laughs> which is an entirely different thing. Yeah, is is it just the tone is harder to manage? Is it why is it we don't pay as much attention to it as what, what we're saying? I mean, a lot of us don't even pay attention to what we say, right? But it seems like even the tone is even a – that's even a whole other game. 
Well, it is, and it's actually a much more natural game. I mean, actors spend years practicing their craft to make sure that their facial expression, their tone, their words match. Most of us don't ever go through acting classes or anything, and so what we actually really feel is right there, at, you know, is, is really accessible, and then that's what comes out despite what the actual words we use hmm. are. And we've had that. We've asked somebody, is something wrong? And they're like, no, I'm fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, something's not it, – and, and it, it conveys it, right? It, it's, so we should really probably trust the tone more than the words. Absolutely. Ooh, that's scary time. It's, a, it's actually best when they match, but it's sort of like the idea of um, it's the truth is what somebody's actions are. You'll pay attention more to their actions than their words, mm-hmm. and the same thing is true with tone. Pay more attention to the tone than the actual words they're using. Yeah, you'd have to be a really skilled person to get the tone right. In a lie or, a, you know, but it's the words. OK, I'll give you the words. Is, is this something we can fix and change? And, and if so, what how do we know? How do we know how to handle the tone and what makes the best tone for whatever type of communication? Well, the, the simple answer is yes, we can fix this. But it's not an easy thing to do, because what happens a lot of times is. We don't think we are speaking in a tone, or better yet, we aren't intending to speak in that tone, but somebody else perceives it that way. And then we get into an argument of, well, you, you, know, you have a tone. No, yeah. I don't. Yes, don't use that no, tone I, with me. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Right. And, it's really, and it's really interesting. Any parent of a teenager has run into this because there's something that happens to the to the brain when people enter puberty it gets rewired and a lot of the pathways that we don't need are actually kind of they actually go away but so the the brain of a teenager is very very volatile and so they will hear a disappointed tone Mm-hmm. as yelling. I can't tell you, I mean, I've talked to my sisters, my friends, everybody who's had a teenager, I experienced it, where you know, you'll be unhappy with something uh, your child did, and they'll say, stop yelling at me. <laughs> but my volume hasn't raised, but that's how they hear it. Yeah. And so, we, so getting into an argument, I'm not yelling, is not productive. It's, oh, okay, this is actually what they're hearing. Is there a way for me to step back and think about a different way of saying what I want to say in a way that the person I'm talking to can hear and accept. Well, and and that, uh, teen teenagers aside, men, I, do, I feel that a lot. So if my wife asked me a question like, um, so when are you going to mow the lawn? Um, I might hear – that's just a question. It might even be with a beautiful tone. But it's in my head I think, oh, my word, are you going to keep nagging me about this? And all of a sudden I'm interpreting it as a nag when it's a question and, and yet – so it might just be we, we almost set it up in a competitive nature, don't we? Well, yes. Yeah. Sometimes we're pre-programmed either because of the interaction, past interactions we've had with this particular person or past interactions we've had with somebody completely different. Yeah. But they use the same words and we hear 
a different meaning than what the person standing right in front of us is trying to convey. Yeah, that's huge. Okay, so we've got to work on this. How do we um, let, – let's do this, actually. Let's take a break and come back, and then I want you to, de- to describe how we adjust our tone, how we – what are some little tricks we can do to, to make sure that the tone is, is the right tone? And, um, and and maybe get some of those messages to slip through without the traditional problems. We'll take a break, uh, folks, and continue this discussion about your marriage communication on the tough issues. Leslie Dorries will be joining us and uh, rejoining us and talking to us about that and some of her secrets from her book, Blueprint for a Lasting Marriage. Stick with us, folks, uh, learning all we can to make marriage better. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you ever feel like uh, you're losing your message, it's maybe lost in translation as you're communicating with somebody you love. Um, it might be your tone, folks. It might be the pitch you're using. Sometimes it might just be the pauses you're taking. So joining us is Leslie Dorries, uh, who is a family counselor, marriage therapist as well, also author of the book Blueprint for a Lasting Marriage, How to Create Your Happily Ever After with More Intention, and less work. And she's here to talk to us about um, our tone. And she's been filling us in already all about it. Leslie, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Absolutely. What do you think? So what are the what are the tones we need to watch out for? Oh, um, frustration, aggravation, anger, yeah. <laughs> sarcasm, and, you know, anything that really that when you're spoken to in a certain way, you don't like it, we really need to be aware that most other people probably don't either. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and sometimes if if you're already being, you know, emotionally hijacked, I call it, then you'll just take a lot of times that emotion right into the your question or your statement, and that ends up creating the tone. Absolutely. And that's really where we all need to do the work. Um, Interestingly enough, we will be aware of how we speak to complete strangers in a way that we aren't always aware of how we speak to our life partner. Mm. And usually the life part, the way we talk to our life partner comes out on the short end of the stick. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And I guess what is that is we, we know we have different rules. We're more careful of allowing too much emotion into a an outsider relationship? Yes. And even a lot of times when we talk to our kids, there was, I'm going to date myself here, there was a, back in the 1980s, there was a huge public service campaign about how we speak to our children. Um, the words that we use, the message we convey, you know, it's not you're stupid or you're bad. It's I don't like what you just did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking we need a public service announcement for how to talk to our spouses and mm-hmm. those who we claim to love because there is a certain level of we let our we let ourselves we, we it's not even letting our guard down but we let ourselves become more relaxed but we but then we lose what the impact is on the person that we care about. Hmm. 
Yeah. And I mean, I guess even being less relaxed about it, just like kind of taking it more seriously, that is a really strong statement about how much you care. You care so much you're going to focus on it. Right. I'm going to care enough that I'm going to get myself under control before I open my mouth because it's what you've said. When we're flooded with emotion, our rational thought goes right out the window. Right, exactly. (laughs) So we have to take that moment and go, okay, let's bring my rational thought back in and decide how do I want to proceed with this. Mm. What, what, it's what, a step that we don't take all the time. Right. What, what are some tones we, we could be practicing that we could be improving, and how do we, how do we get that tone right? Um, well, one, it's really thinking about what do I want to accomplish by the statement I'm about to make. If I'm, now, if I'm trying to hurt or anger the other person, great you know, let it fly. Mm. But if what I really want to do is to convey my hurt or convey what matters to me, then I have to look at the way that message is being presented. It's basically what advertising does. They go after who their target market is, and then they put their message around that. Yeah. So it's really knowing your audience. I mean, and knowing your message and then, um, I guess, getting yourself aligned to that. Are there any tricks that help me? Let's say I want to create – like, let's say I have to go talk to my spouse or give some feedback or a, some criticism or, you know, critique of something. How do I do that in a way that the tone comes out right? One, you have to figure out what your goal is. Is your goal really to help the other person or is, you know, that – hey, you know, I've noticed that, you know, when you're interacting with the kids, you know, here's, here's something that I see, you know, that maybe isn't working really well, you know, but you have to idea, is this really about helping them or is it I just disagree with what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And I yeah, want yeah. You to do it differently. Because one is really, it's about your intention. What am I trying to accomplish? And then the other thing that we don't do which is absolutely critical, especially if we're going to make any kind of critique or correction, is to first off ask if now's a good time to talk to the person, because they may mm-hmm. be busy and their thoughts may be elsewhere. And number two, asking, are you interested in an observation that I have about this? Yeah, because they might because say, a lot- no, I'm not. <laughs> Next. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Because it sets, you know, because one, a lot of times we start a conversation and the other person's, their their head is somewhere completely different. They're not knowing it's coming. And especially if it's a criticism or a critique, it's, whoa, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not ready for this. And good coaches know that if I preface something with a positive statement and then I bring in the correction, number one, I've set a much better tone. So it's like, yeah, that last play, you did this really well. Next time, let's try, let's try adding this to it. Yeah, there you go. And, and wow, really, I'm open to that. And what's interesting, because we always hear that as a technique, right? Like kind of uh, sandwich the, the criticism. But what you're, what it, you, you made a great point saying, no, the positive side isn't to manipulate and then lower the boom. The positive thing you're saying is to set the tone that I'm in. I love you. I care. And let's just add this next time. 
right. Yeah, and, that's great. You know, and, and of course, that whatever positive comment you make has to be true because right. otherwise then the other person's going, okay, yeah, here comes the manipulation. You know? Yeah, it's just a technique, isn't it? Um, we've only got about a minute left, uh, Leslie. What would you say is the one thing, the one thing that we should all remember when it comes to managing tone? Really, it's what is your intention with what you're about to say, and does your tone match that intention? Great. Because what, what is the intention would set how this is going to come out anyway, and it, or you might just be having tone that doesn't jive or match with what your goal was. Exactly. Hmm. Great questions. What is my intention, and does it match with how it came out? Well, Leslie, we appreciate you and your great work there. Um, if you go, you have a great website, lesliedoares.com, which is D-O-A-L-E-S-L-I-D-O-A-R-E-S.com. Wonderful resources and tools there. Uh, I highly suggest all of us. We need to get working on these subtle little differences of tone, of relationship, of communication. You're going to learn them one way or another, and you're going to have problems one way or another. So, Leslie, thank you so much. And uh, keep up the great work. We will take a break, my friends, and go talk to our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. But first, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Hey, uh, we we got to get down and, and visit uh, the heart of BYU Broadcasting, uh, the great BYU Sports Nation. Today, we'll be talking with Jerem, Jordan, and Jason Shepard. Hello, gentlemen. What's up, Maddie? How are Hello. you? How are the boys? Solid. Uh, Spencer is on his way to um, where? Uh, to Disneyland. To a far-off wonderland. Yeah. A dream world of magic. Mm-hmm. Yes, the place where all things happen and everything, every dream comes true. Every it's dream true. comes every true single at one Disneyland. Comes true. In fact, I think, um, if I'm not incorrect here, Kobe Bryant was at Disneyland last Kobe night. Kobe Bryant. This was supposed to be a Kobe-free zone today here, man. Was it? Did I bring up darkness? I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Did um, you? 60 points. I don't think Jason did. No, I did not. I, I am not a Kobe fan, and the fact that it happened against the Jazz just yeah. made it worse. Yeah, I, it was, I had I'm the same I'm not a Kobe feeling. fan either, but for some reason I was just drawn in by the by the story. It was just, it was just crazy. He took like 50 shots. Well, I mean, yeah. It, which is No, exactly lot. 50. But, not like 50. He took exactly, <laughs> exactly 50, 50 shots. <laughs> but he I, he could have scored 150 points. Yeah, he should have. <laughs> I, I anticipated watching the Warriors game last night and watching NBA history, which yeah. was crazy uneventful as well, by the way. Right, right. Um, but the drama with the Kobe Bryant thing was, I don't know why. I don't know why. I couldn't stop watching that game. It was really? kind of a celebration of an era and basketball. It, it was bigger than just the end of Kobe almost. It was, it was interesting. You know, well, because if you're a Jazz fan, yeah. that me, by definition, that means you don't like the Lakers. That's right. part of the deal. Yeah, it's just part of the deal. It's what you sign up for. Yet... <laughs> Uh, I couldn't stop watching. I don't know why. Well, it's the like basketball a, yeah. fan in me loved it. I don't, I don't know what happened. Was it was it was it Kobe uh, taking over, or was it like the Jazz imploding? No, it was Kobe taking it had over. Nothing to that. Were the Jazz even there? Is that yeah, the, they played. The, the Jazz yeah. were inconsequential <laughs> in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. It it was interesting because I didn't realize what the score was until three minutes left in the game. I'm just watching Kobe score. Uh, yeah, just, they, it, it's piling up, and you're seeing everyone's reaction. Then late, he's 
super clutch again in a meaningless game, granted. But right, just, right. you just kind of one last time, like, like if you're like, oh, we're going to watch the Beatles play one last time. They're not as good as they used to be. Yeah. But that one song, oh, it was really good, and it just it felt cool mm-hmm. to kind of relive that. And it's kind of, you know, it's like when Grandpa goes out and throws a pitch, you know? It's cool. Grandpa's young. He's hip. You know, we don't see that Grandpa goes back and has to have his arm worked on for a year. <laughs> he has to go in and you know it's just cool. Have Tommy, surgery on Tommy the hip. John. Right. Yeah, you know he it. Hey guys, I found some. I found some interesting news. You, I wanted to get your your input on. Um, I don't know if it's true or not, but the research at Knox College shows that um, men are actually creepier than women. Oh, 100%. oh yeah, hundred percent. I didn't. There didn't need to be a study for us to know <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, wait a minute. So you concur? Your expert <laughs> yeah. advice. Your expert opinion says that men are creepier. Yeah. I, here's what I. How did? How do they? Like what? What did they go through in order to find out what data did they collect? Well, they they the researchers define creepiness as anxiety aroused by the ambiguity of whether there is something to fear or not. So creepy is if you should be afraid of somebody or not. Yeah. And they they I guess evaluated thirteen hundred individuals. They surveyed them, uh, one thousand women, three hundred and twelve men, and um, what they found out is not more than ninety five percent of the participants perceive men as being more likely to be creepy or potentially something to fear than women. So they just line up all these guys and like walk yeah. down. Yeah, yep, yeah or no. Yep, yep, no, yep, 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 yep. That would be so weird. <laughs> creepy, yes, creepy, yes. And we talked about last time what makes creepier is like long fingers, bulgy eyes, yeah, pale skin. Yeah, it's all about skin. the eyes, Matt. Yeah. The, the creepiness is in the eyes. Holy cow, Garrett, Garrett Rushforth is with us today. And when I was just giving that description, he just got this look in his eyes like, oh, no. I think I fit the criteria. <laughs> Didn't you, Garrett? Totally, it's yeah, genetic. Totally it's genetic. Anyway, it's, it's good I to know. I know Garrett's dad. I yeah, you do. I, I know. Think, you, this I don't is, think Garrett's going to be in trouble. Back to the track dad's days. not creepy. Yeah. My dad's not creepy? No. Yes. Well, <laughs> he was I don't know. He was a cross-country coach. Cover you. That's right. He, he made you what you are today. <laughs> right? He, he made was the, the only person who had any influence on your life whatsoever. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes, instilled the values that set you on your course. Jerem to this day, I don't know if that's good or bad. Jerem to this day still shaves his legs, and <laughs> I've never shaved my legs. Jerem, <laughs> except the creepy thing, except Ex- your creepiness, Jerem. And so he wears cleats. Jason swam at Kearns, which yeah, is nearby. And oh. I never, no, I never, never shaved. Oh, and you never? No, shaved no, no. Your I legs? was, I was totally against it. Jason, you're really? a, you're a swimmer. Uh, yeah, I was a swimmer in high school. Because you got a, you're like ripped. You remind me of me at your age. <laughs> What he means to say is him now, but yeah, he's like, too don't sell humble. Short, no, 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 no. I haven't looked like that since Nam. Yeah, <laughs> doctor. Or even back then, I, I guess I was, I, I wasn't born. I was born after Nam. Um, okay, so that's that's a fact. We got that taken care of. Uh, creepy men, creepy uh, women, not creepy. Have you ever met a creepy woman? Hmm? I don't know if creepy is the right word. I know. Yeah, creepy is it's not crazy, the word. It's kind of maybe. a masculine word. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Isn't that funny? Creepy sounds like masculine yeah, because yeah. Feels masculine. we may not be in, afraid. In Spanish, in Spanish is it uh, masculine? Uh, I don't know the word for creepy in Spanish. It's not a noun, so maybe it doesn't creepy. Escripado. <laughs> we never used the word creepy when I was on my LDS mission. Hey, um, are you guys are you doing your show today or just take a break today? Heck yes. Spencer's gone, so we're going to amp it up just a tad. Oh, sweet. Uh, What's going to happen? The War- so the Warriors won 73 wins. Yes. That's a record, right? Huge. Seemed yep. like an unobtainable record. So we're going to discuss what's the BYU record that you think is unobtainable. Un- oh, cool. Or unattainable. Either one. Okay. You want. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. How so about Heisman one. national champion? Yeah. It's, the, it's on the list. It's okay. been brought up multiple times. Yeah, we each have a uh, – we've picked one, but there are many great tweets coming in using cool. the hashtag BYUSN. We're also going to have Taryn Houck, former BYU football player. He's trying to make it uh, – Make it to the NFL. In the next couple mm. of weeks, the NFL draft is coming up. So there are obviously a lot of uh, college football hopefuls looking to make that jump to the pros. So we'll have Taryn in studio, and we'll kind of talk about how things have gone for him since pro day and maybe some of the teams that are paying attention. Mm. Blaine Fowler as well. There's a BYU guard transferring on the basketball team. We'll talk about who it is and what impact uh, that may have on the Cougars next year, uh, as well as what he thinks the unobtainable record is. So. Cool. Hang out with us today. It's a great show. Top of the hour. Uh, incredibly talented hosts, of course. When we find them, we will bring them in. Yes. If you guys could just track them down, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, have a great show, gentlemen. Thanks, Take, Matt. take Thanks, care. Matt. Remember who you are. Return and report and make a day and make it happen. Um, we've got all these really cool um, people at BYU Radio that you just don't always get to hear. So you got to keep listening to the show once you're done with the matt townsend show you know take a break you know five minutes maybe and then boom you'll you'll enjoy byu sports nation and get to hear more from those wonderful guys here's the deal we've only got about seven minutes left to just hang out connect we've already talked about the binge watching problems of america the knuckle push-up guy how about a new startup Let's see. Are you interested in a new startup? A Seattle-based startup, uh, CrowdCow, has introduced a crowdfunding to the meat industry in a bid to promote the idea of sustainably raised meat. Tell me this isn't strange. Through CrowdCow, customers get to place their orders on specific cuts of a cow in the exact quantities they need. Ew. The cow is finally slaughtered only when it has tipped, which means that it has at least 67% of the meat on that cow has been claimed online. It sounds rather brutal, right, to be placing bids on body parts of a cow. But according to the co-founders, this system actually promotes responsible, sustainable meat harvesting. Would you eat less meat if you had to, like, put a bid out? Like, yeah, I'll take a – I'll put 95 cents on that shank right there. That's a weird system. Just, I mean, I think it's going to work. It's already working. I have, effe- I have effectively lost my appetite. I'm not hungry anymore. I was starving a few minutes ago. Not anymore. Hey, uh, a, a good farewell to Kobe Bryant, though. You got to admit, the guy's retiring and he still throws down 60 points. Sure. He could have had 150 for the 50 shots he took. That's pretty cool. And the Warriors... One of the big discussions we had with my sons last night, the Warriors, they did something that nobody thought would be done. They broke the record, as Jerem was talking about, 73 wins, nine losses, incredible, along with a lot of other records that they've broken. And the, I think the most amazing thing about it is they're, they're just great guys. One of the commentators on the um, game last night was saying the weird thing about Steph Curry is he's this kind of MVP talent. Everybody loves him, but he's not, he hasn't turned, he hasn't been vilified. We usually villainize a lot of these people. And so he is a, he's, he's kind of a he's, a, he's a weird duck simply because we haven't turned to hate him yet. I mean, a LeBron, people eventually turned him into the villain 
well, or some would say LeBron turned himself into the villain. And Kobe, as he's retiring, was also villainized. I don't know if you saw the song they did. I guess it was a tribute from NBC, and they involved a lot of other actors and things to sing the song. But the song was basically about being hated. It was like it was a strange moment for me because that's weird. It seems like we're not actually honoring him. It seems like we're, you know, ticking him off. But uh, isn't it something when you get to decide and choose how do you want to be remembered? Can you be a good guy, get great results, and still end up, you know, being loved? And, of course, everything these guys are doing on the court, it doesn't – you know, they also get judged in the media and I'm sure unfairly as well. But how do you want to be remembered? And at your retirement party, do you want to still be making 60 points or or doing your best job that you can so that everybody revered the work that you did do? Anyway, think about it because there will be a day. There will be a day where it will be your turn to move on and to change. As you know, um, we always like to wrap up the show talking about a hero. That way you can see the good in the world that's out there. Twitter, uh, there's a Twitter hero who gives up a Dr. Pepper handle in exchange for donations to Flint water crisis. Listen to this. Diana Hussein created the Twitter handle at Diet Dr. Pepper back in 2009 before the beverage company was able to acquire the piece of digital real estate. Over the years, Diana has tried reaching out to the giant uh, multi-product company to see if they wanted to buy the username, never expecting anything more than a free soda. But Hussein, a Michigan resident, couldn't turn a blind eye to the plight of the residents of Flint, Michigan, so donations have poured in from all around the country sending bottled water and filters to those affected by the crisis. When Hussein saw an opportunity to do something good, what she did in January, the Dr. Pepper Company began expressing interest in her Twitter handle, and uh, after wondering whether or not she should negotiate the sale, Hussein decided she would give up the name if the soft drink company promised to help Flint. That's all she wanted. So Dr. Pepper says she wasn't trying to come after a monetary value. She was straightforward. She was very open and honest with us. She just wanted to get some help. Dr. Pepper's Snapple Group donated um, about 41,000 bottles of water last month in exchange for the Diet Dr. Pepper Twitter handle. How cool is that? Diana Hussein, you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. I'm telling you, folks, that's what we need more of in this world, isn't it? More Dianas not looking out for their own pocket, but looking out for everyone else. That is the hero. Again, you don't have to have a Twitter handle to be a hero to someone. All you got to do is care. See the need and let your heart soften a little bit. When it softens, guess what will happen? You'll know exactly what's the right thing to do. So I challenge all of us. Let's just go be better, do better. Let's, let's do good things. We'll be back again tomorrow. We can't do the show without you. Join us again tomorrow. Until then, look us up on iTunes or TuneIn or the BYU Radio app. It's all there. Until then, take care of each other. Watch each other's backs. Make it a great one.